Hello and broadcasting from the beautiful central coast of California. California. It's the Dr. Death Danger Radio Show! Yeah, I don't have anything quippy to say in the beginning, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. They do it all the time. How's it going, listening homies? Welcome back to another episode of the Triple D Radio Show with your boys, James and Edward. Edward, what's good? How are you all doing, everybody? This episode is brought to you by Timestamps, which we always have in our description. Uh, it's good to see you all. How you do? I'm pretty excited for today's show, not just because of what we're going to talk about, but bro, this is our first show all year. <laughs> That's my favorite joke. That's my favorite joke. I love it. The people at my work suffer for like the first three weeks of every year. Yeah, well, every time someone you see is like, hey, I haven't seen you all year. Oh, I love it. It's it's my favorite bad joke. Uh-huh. How have you been? Uh, for the most part, this week hasn't been too bad. Well, we just started the new year, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's mostly been relaxing. <laughs> Nothing so too you're much. saying you've had a pretty good year so far. <laughs> Other than like the one rapper lady that passed away. From like fentanyl that like did verses with three six mafia. Everything else has been chill. Oh yeah, I heard about. I think that, that's the yeah. one bummer. That's the one bummer of like the year so far. But yeah, yeah we brought in the year pretty cool. I think uh, on New we had a pretty cool New Year's Eve. Yeah, here you can tell us about New Year's Eve. Yeah, so uh, we met up in my. Well, it was originally going to be a group of like six or seven of us that met up at our homie's house, but then that homie had a COVID scare, and one dude backed the hell out. So it ended up being just me, good host James, good host Dylan. I almost said good host Edward. Uh, wait, no, Dylan's not a host. Fuck, good yeah, friend Dylan. Good friend Dylan. I don't even know why you think he's a host. No, I know. I don't know why. I, I don't know why I said good host Dylan. I meant anyway. Yeah, good friend Dylan. Um. We met at my house and we watched the Channel 5 documentary, This Place Rules, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think we were under the assumption it was about the January 6th uh, Washington storming of. Well, yeah, that's what a lot of it seemed like coming up, but it as well, at this point, we'll be like spoiling the documentary. Well, yeah, um, but everyone should watch it. It's great. It's got the typical channel fee for the first like pff, half of it. But then around the halfway point, once they get to, I would say around the point when they get to a, when they meet a certain family, that's when the documentary takes like its like super serial turn that Channel 5 with Andrew Cunningham also does. It's really good. That's, oh, what'd I say? Cunningham. Fuck. Yeah, Andrew uh, Callahan. It's just really great. I'm glad we watched it. And then we, after that, we had some steak. Yeah, we had some pretty pretty chill steaks at the fucking st- at this one steak joint that does a fire prick oat likes like steaks and stuff. All four of us except good friend Dylan d- got steaks. Oh my god, I need to tell you all what how this happened because it was perfect. So I order my steak first, and I get the ri- they have a ribeye steak sandwich, which it's it goes up to sixteen ounce rib boneless ribeye, and the bread is two pieces of garlic bread. Mwah incredible medium rare then our buddy ethan gets a top sirloin medium rare 
our buddy Dak, who is with us. Top sirloin, medium rare. James, what'd you get? Oh, I got the. They call it the Spencer, but they call it, but it's the, but they also in quotation just call it the ribeye, and I got that medium rare. Yes, and it was twenty ounces. Yes, and our buddy Dylan gets. Yeah, can I get the? Uh, can I get the spaghetti ravioli? <laughs> Or what was it? The spaghetti? Yeah, it was literally spaghetti and ravioli. Yeah. Can I get the spaghetti and ravioli? And, a, and can I also ask for a glass of milk? I was like, what? I cracked up at the pasta. He and I cracked, was cracking up at the milk. It was That just like amazing. threw me off. I was like, wait, why the fuck are you getting milk at the cowboy steak joint? I was like, why are you getting pasta at the steak joint? Like, like the milk was funny, but it was like, okay, well, it's Dylan. We, you know, milk. You know, it's a running gag. Yeah. But the pasta, because again, medium rare steak, me, four medium rare steaks in a row. Can I get the pasta and ravioli? He was looking fresh too. He had this like big like blue dress jacket on and mm-hmm. like a pure white button up shirt. Yeah, a button white what button like freaking button up shirt with a good collar and everything that he just like was just spilling salsa and spaghetti on the whole entire evening. He got a dirty shirt. Yeah, you know, and then like no, you gotta realize earlier he's like sitting there going, like, "Yeah, is there like a dress code to this spot?" I'm like. Fucker, you've been here before. <laughs> it's a steakhouse with a bar. To be fair, it's we a were cowboy going jo- jo- It's a cowboy j- joint. You don't need a dress fancy. It's casual wear. To be fair, you've we- been there. We were going you for not- We were going for dinner. You do dress nice for dinner. Oh, I did have the opportunity to dress that. <laughs> I dressed up like I was going to be coming to the space right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. in my usual, like, not work attire. I, j- I think I just put on... I, I think I just put on some jeans and obviously like, oh, no, I did wear a button up shirt, but it was like a, it was a button up shirt that was for like that I bought years ago for the thrash metal band Overkill. So it's got their, their oh, yeah. logo on the oh, back. Yeah, I'm wearing a nice button up shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Overkill thrash metal shirt because I'm it's, metal. Or- see, it has their big bat design on the back, but then on the breast pocket, it says overkill and i think it does it in their writing or it might have done it in cursive i don't remember oh, but no. yeah that was my fancy drip and then you had our boy ethan who was just there wearing his beanie the whole time yep but yeah. then you had <laughs> yeah, nothing else you had nothing else well, just a naked naked man in a beanie yeah our naked filipino friend but then he's indonesian oh, i thought i thought he told me filipino no whoops uh but then but then there's dylan big blue loud Oh, it's not bright blue. It's not like baby blue, but it is a loud blue jacket with the white shirt. And it's just like, man, what a crew. Yeah, it was just a chilling crew grabbing just some steaks. It was chill. And then after that, went and got home. It was like taking a dump, right? It's like midnight stro- like striking going into the new year. Hell yeah. Good friend Boat Steel like, called me because like... Good friend Thomas was on the phone with someone else. So good friend Bosi was like, I don't want to be alone. I won't be like third <laughs> wheel. I don't want to be third wheeling. So I want to say what's up. And I'm like, you know what's good. I'm just taking a good turn right now. Once you're off, I'm going to go to bed because, yeah, I don't got anything else special going on. Yeah, my- I already did a lot of my New Year's like celebrations earlier. Got a good meal. Watch the like movie documentary that I've been in anticipation for for most of the year and stuff yeah. that I was stoked on watching. Yeah. And it is like, you had good friend Dylan that literally came up and just like, so what is this about? I'm like, have you not been paying attention? And then, uh, then I realized maybe you just don't care for Channel 5. And my, my dad was surprised when I when I walked in the door and it was just me because he was like, oh, I thought James was coming in. I'm like, I'm like, no, nah, he was heading home. He said, oh, we, we were kind of expecting him. We just finished making the menudo. Dang. 
And so I was like, I don't And I just kind of forgot to ask. And I, I don't know. I figured you'd wanted to get home. Yeah. So. It was just so, like, either way, it would have been sick to grab like and a I guess small it bowl of menudo. I guess it would have been funny, though. You bring in the you bring in the new year, taking a dump at the Munoz house. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of more of a meme that way. Could have been. But no. Instead, I just went and went home. Yeah. I was like, right, I'm going to just cruise home and then just like relax out going into the new year. And I'm like, all right, now it's a new year. I can't say much else. It's last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like work, like work fucking slowed down. I Mm -hmm. think I got like past all the freaking like weather damage on everything. No stupid ass customers to really bitch about. So in a way, that's good, though. I I think in that scenario, that's kind of a no news is good news kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Except I did remember on like, yeah, I think I was working like not Christmas Eve, but the eve to Christmas Eve. I was like stuck at this one spot because they are literally their issue was, yeah, our Internet goes out when it's cold. Like when it goes down on a certain temperature, it's like, yeah, it goes out. I was like, OK, <laughs> I'm just going to go there and I'm going to test things and I test things. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to replace your cable. Also, there's power units being a little funky. So I'm going to go do that. And then literally it was like a job where it's like, I don't know why little things were just getting messed up because I, I like so like I messed up at like like terminating the ends on this like cable run and stuff. So I'm turning and the fucking like no. And like the like customer's like wife comes in and she goes like, hey, how much longer is this going to be? And I thought she was joking. I was like, oh, no, maybe like no three hours or something now. Nah. And I realized, oh, shit, you're actually serious. Oh. And you're giving me some fucking bullshit lip right now. She's because she's like, internet's been down for like three hours now. I was like, you came, you had me come in for like a bullshit reason. And like your internet was like, seems like it was working when I came in. So and you're getting mad at me that you want me to actually go through everything, actually make sure it's up to par. So maybe you won't have your fucking issue. I haven't heard a phone call from them since. <laughs> so you're fucking welcome, you bitch lady yeah what the fuck yeah i'm just like my internet's been out well i guess it's been down for a minute because i'm trying to maybe fix the problem that you called in in the first place and you know that's a weird problem it's not a common occurrence so i can only (laughs) go off theory and assumptions yeah all i could test thing is test stuff out and and then most likely go you know what maybe i'll swap this out in theory that should fix the problem well, and there isn't the only there was only one little issue that I could have just swapped out your power unit and go away. But I don't know if it still would have fixed your weird weather, your cold temperature problem. Yeah, you can't. Fix and it's the yeah, yeah, and this fucking lady just getting mad at me because I'm sitting there. It's like, you know, what? I'm really trying to do like an OK job right now because I would hope that I go away and I'll get a phone call from you for a good long time. I hope you would call with another issue. And thus, I guess I did my job well. So yeah, fuck that lady. I hope she had a fucking okay Christmas. <laughs> Not and a I hope her internet worked through most of it. Yeah, fuck that lady. Hope her internet's okay and she had a good Christmas. Yeah, I hope yeah, I hope that lady get well, I'm gonna say, yeah, fuck that lady. I hope your fucking Christmas is terrible. <laughs> well no. I hope it's your just, house burns down. No, no. I'm not that <laughs> vindictive. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be mad at fucking like the at the freaking like dumb. All right. The fucking angry people. Right. All right. Maybe sometimes fixing issues might take a minute. Believe me, lady, I want to be there as much as you do. All right. I want to go fucking home. You think I like want to be at your pad? No, yeah. I don't give a fuck. I really don't. <laughs> but hey, I guess I have a job to do and maybe I should do an OK job. Yeah. 
Which I guess I did a good job because I haven't heard a phone call from that person. Sure sounds like you did. Yes. As I'll say for the third time. Alright, we do have a long show though, because Yeah. Did you actually break down? Oh or, or, shit. Okay, so it's another Metallica Mania Day. We are gonna talk about the Saint Anger record and the Saint Anger documentary after Hot or Not. Uh some kind of monster is the name of the documentary. Timestamps in the beginning. Well, timestamps yeah. in the description. Yeah, I did say that part. Um, yeah, I'm going to tell you all right now. I tried really hard, but man, there's a lot to say about this record and documentary. So I feel I, like we can't just we can't be dicking around. We should be hammering out like maybe the early segments. Yeah, I was going to say. So there's a little bit more time in the beginning, so we don't have to go like a three hour podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, let's just, uh, you want to just get to. Yeah, let's get a hot or not. And yeah. yes, I have a hot or not. Cool. <laughs> Take two. I forgot to press record the first time. It's a good story. Not really. I just forgot to press record. I'm like, all right, let me pull up Mr. Hotter. Hotter not. Mr. Hotter not. Good for a boat still. And I realized, yeah, uh, that didn't record. Let's uh, take two on that. But yeah, after me bullshitting, I guess it'll take me a minute to get um, freaking Mr. Bone Steel. Jake Bone Steel. All right, what do you have for us today? What's up, Bones? Never mind, because I didn't press record on Bone Steel. <laughs> Fourth time's the charm. We're not starting over again. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. With Pate, start the year off with. Uh, I would start 2023, I figured I would start the year off with Peyton Parrish, which is basically this dude that is fucking huge on TikTok and Instagram. He's uh, mainly known for doing, like, Viking music and specifically <laughs> oh, this, covers. And his Disney covers are, without question, the best, you know, d- covers of Disney songs I've ever heard. Uh, he has this, like, super deep, yardly voice where he sounds like a mixture of like David this. Draymond and Scott Stapp from Creed. And then he basically does, like, hard rock you know, butt rock versions of uh, Disney songs, but the production, the vocals, everything on it just fucking, you know, he does such a good job. And he has an album coming out soon, and his version of Can You Feel the Love Tonight is legit top tier, but it's not out yet. So <laughs> I'll give you one of his other nice bangers, advertisement, which is Go Jake. the Distance. I figure it's a, it's a nice New Year's song to start. Okay. You hear that, James? He's fucking huge on TikTok. Fucking huge on TikTok. Fucking huge. Some Viking guy that yardles and does I know Disney this, covers. I know this dude. Uh, the the Viking folk in San Maria hang out with. Oh, yeah. Love this guy. The production does sound nice, though. Food mm. dreamed. They play this every, just about every time I, I visit them. This song? This specific cover of this song they do. Honestly, Is I think Is this some Viking, bro? Yeah. <laughs> honestly, I th- honestly, I think this version's honestly kind of cool. I understand if the yarling turns you off. Here, well, I'll just for me to talk. Sure. Because I'm like, honestly, I'm just gonna spoil it now. No, not. 
Oh, this is, is it because he said Yarling? Dude, this is cringy. Fucking no. Oh, come on. It's like everything I'm against. I literally... Okay, oh, well, elaborate on that. How's it everything you're against? Alright. Here's the thing. Disney covers, sure. People sure. do them. They can make a great thing. I don't like, like, sometimes people trying to make a rock version cover. Because most of the time, it doesn't do it justice. No. And to me, it just comes off corny. But, like, literally, I'm also not in the Viking things. Because, one, it's like, you know what? I guess some people, it's a heritage thing. Maybe they inspire. But, honestly... A lot of time, a lot is like people that go really hard the Viking stuff are really just national socialists that are kind of racist. Just saying. Are we talking about Vi are we talking about wannabe Vikings or black metal? I'm talking about people that fuck with the Viking stuff. Sometimes wow. like it it definitely bleeds into national socialism ideals. Well, I mean, yeah. gotta, like I'm just saying, a lot of it's just a little like it gets a little white pridey for me. But that's only me. Bone still like looks at Proud Boys and he doesn't like it because it's too much to like don't trend on me. See? Yeah, yeah. So it's all like the so that's an extreme reason why I don't care. Maybe this guy isn't racist that I'm aware of. I would assume Jake wouldn't like a racist. I don't know. I would assume. Homie liked fucking that one bit. He loved Lost Prophets before Homie got caught with child child pornography or he was a pedophile. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Keyword there being before. Hopefully before. We don't know how long the guy's... I just think the song sounds nice. Look at that production. This probably took hours on hours to produce. Yeah, it took hours on hours on your DAW. Just, like, arranging all this. Maybe you had someone playing, like, the drums, but as I said, the, the production's too clean. Well... But it's music. It's big. It's a vibe. I get it. People really like that. This feels like, I don't. I'm the opposite of that. Musically, this feels like almost more like it's a cover of a Sweet Victory from SpongeBob. Yeah, even then, like, Sweet Victory doesn't sound as, like, maybe this big or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, I don't like excessive high production. That already made me just go, and I'm like, nah. Nah, nah. As soon as he said he's and got like, the Yarly thing, thing I, going, I saw your fucking face drop. I'm just saying, like, dude, what the fuck? Oh, man. Like, literally, let me read the description. Sure. Singer Peyton Parrish is known for his throaty brand of Viking-inspired country and post-grunge, <laughs> as well as his innovative cover tunes. He garnered viral fame in 2020 with his cover of the Assassin's Creed Valhalla video game song, My Mother Told Me, which was included in the TV show Vikings that same year. He released his debut album, Cowboy Man, featuring the single... Ragnarok, born in 1996. <laughs> oh Jesus, fucking! He's Christ. younger than us. Jesus, fucking. holy crap! Born in 1996 in Washington D.C. Uh, yeah, Parrish Parrish moved with his family to Los Angeles, Los Angeles, where he became interested in music while still in high school. He eventually moved back to Washington and earned his bachelor's degree. After college, he began po posting a mix of cover songs and originals online. He also released several EPs, including 2019's Vaccine and Thank God for You. By 2020, he had amassed a considerable online following, garnering the viral attention from his cover for the Assassin's Creed Valhalla video game song My Mother Told Me. Based on the Ic Icelandic poem... 
I'm not going to say the fucking name. It's like Igil, Igil, Igil Saga. The song garnered Parrish yet more attention after it was featured for the television show Vikings. In 2020, he released his debut full-length album, Cowboy Man, which included the song Ragnarok, as well as the cover of the Cranberry song Zombie. All done by the word was of Matt Collar. So I'm gonna say it is a hot because listen, I'm of both. You like it a lot. I, I'm, I'm of both worlds. I like high production. I like low production. To me, as long as it sounds good, as long as it sounds good to, as long as it sounds good to my ears, you know, as long as I subjectively feel it sounds good, then I like it. And honestly, no, nah, I think it's cool. I agree that it could come off as excessive, though. I could, I could totally see how it could come off as like, okay, this is too produced. This is too cinematic. Like, if you were to put oh, yeah, on... No, that song, I'll admit right now, like, actually thinking back and listening to it, I was like, yeah, that's a little too excessive. Plus, I have a feeling the original might have a little bit more energy to that, it. Well, that's what I was going to say. If you were to put on the original... Uh, uh, um, Fuck it, Golden, I will. If you want to put on the original, or if you want to be a G, put on the Michael Bolton version that they don't, did. Yeah, don't make me do that. It'll, this will make it will Cause Disney, me. Because Disney does this thing where they have the iconic song, but then they have an artist record usually a ballad Grammy version of it for the yeah, credits. Let's just listen to the like Ro- Roger Bart, the OG version yeah, of the song. Yeah, yeah. That well, I was gonna say really quick that about the whole production thing. It sound if you were to put these two on back to back, that one sounds more, and I'm using quotation marks, everybody, bigger or cinematic than this one. But yeah, that's but it also sounds synthetic. Well, this actually sounds like actual instruments in my ears. It sounds good. Oh, and plus, when the singing comes in, it's a uh, the single on the singing on the original is a lot simpler and, and a little more. See, this feels this feels like a guy at a piano. The other one feels like the guy in a studio. Yeah, I feel like yeah. You got fucking this ball. Like, so you can see the excitement building in his voice. Yeah, I didn't follow with that guy. It's storytelling. It's not just a song. It's storytelling. Oh, how dare that! This guy actually threw it on dynamics. Yeah, we're trashing some dude for not doing. Not like trying to bring the spirit of the well, original. Well, that's the idea in Disney movies in theater. They're not just songs, you know. They're 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 telling the story. But when you cover these songs, it gives off the air of oh yeah, we're playing a song. But this dude, this song is about Hercules's like driving ambition to achieve his fucking dreams. Yeah. Do you and goals. feel like Peyton Parrish might have replicated that like driving ambition? Man, as soon as that description you read said uh, said his blend of uh, his blend of country and post grudge, I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, things I really don't fuck with. The only post grudge thing I'm yeah, pretty sure I like Michael is Bolton. Oh, dude. Yeah, you don't have to play the whole thing because I know we got a big show to get to, but this is this is legit. I know we're trying to do more, trying to hammer out through these things, but I guess good friend Bone Steel brought up something very controversial. Shut up. See, dude, this is going. Give for- me the stripper fight music, all right? I want real relevant shit, dude. Fuck, dude. Give me a little Dirk, something. Oh no, I need a, I need the viral TikTok Viking bro that does country Fucking and Huge on TikTok. Yeah, he has huge production. He does a great job on his da. I'm not gonna doubt his work, but I don't give a fuck about his work. It's not my thing. Shout out to my dad who fucking hates Michael Bolton. Yeah, dude, Michael Bolton's way sicker than your Viking bro. I love Michael Bolton. I get it. Michael Bolton comes- took the chance, and I'm just dissing on him like, oh, yeah, you didn't do as good a job as, like, the storytelling of the original homie. 
And then Michael Bolton, who's like, Michael fucking Bolton. See, listen to this. Even this is a storytelling. Can't you just imagine Michael Bolton when he had longer hair back then? Open yeah. button up shirt barefoot on a beach? Screaming to the setting sun? Yeah. <laughs> Before again, we bring up this. Where's the home? Yeah, we bring up this homie again. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And he's got like the modern, quote unquote, vaguely hip hop beat in the background. Yeah. To sound modern. I, yeah, you sound modern and dated to this of fucking moment. Yeah, dude, where I don't feel the power. No. <laughs> I, I, as I, said, I, don't I still know, give I, it a hot. I still give it a hot. You give it a hot. I'm giving it a not. I'm. I feel like I'm unnecessarily trashing this dude. I'm just being a hater to be a hater. See, I can tell you, you really it is because uh, James has been standing this whole time. Well, yeah, because I got to <laughs> fucking hop over my goddamn microphone rig and everything. I got all this shit in the way. I got a mixer on a stool. I got the freaking like hi hat symbol mic in my damn way. I got to reach around and shit. So yeah. Maybe I feel like we're going to be hopping to a segment sooner than later. Yeah. But yes, I, I I think me ranting for a moment to not. Yeah. I don't think I have any other closing statements. No, I, I think... It was just all things I just don't care homie, about. Homie, we went from Viking Dude to Dizzy Comparison. We ran about... We talked about Michael Bolton. I think I think, I think think we I think we can uh, uh, write a check mark next to the, next to the uh, Hot or Not segment. Uh, let me get the time stamp, and then we'll hop into the CAR. Hell yeah. All right, then. Let's get into the C.A.R. All right, Ed. Tell me what we listened to this week. Uh, well, first off, I'll be I'll be honest. It's kind of jarring to go right in the St. Anger after the break we just had. But anyway. Yeah, I know. We went from, like, this Viking bro, and I'm just, like, sitting here. I'm like, bro, I'd rather listen to Little Pump. We listened to Michael Bolton. Li- yeah. We listened to Mike, the Little Pump. Yeah, listen to the Gucci Gang. Hell yeah. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, Viking bro put me in. But now this, I would rather listen to this over Viking bro any day. Like, this so sick. Saint Anger and Little Pop, like this, he will take over Peyton Parrish. Yeah, dude. This snare, like, I fucking, like, I love this snare. I love this is like, fucking brutal shit by <laughs> fucking eardomes. Anyway, this is Saint Anger, everybody. This is probably Metallica's most controversial record that I happen to really like. And this is song number yeah, Peyton one. Peyton Parrish or Saint Anger? This is song number one called Frantic. And I'm just going to come out and say it. Um... Yeah, I give this one an 8. I fucking love this song. It's got, like, the aggression. It's got speed here and there. It's memorable, you know? Like the pre-chorus where it's like, Keep searching! I love that shit. The fight tick tick tock as Hefiel loses his mind on the song. I just think it's great. Plus that riff. It's heavy. Yeah, I love it. All right, so my thing, first listen to my, you know, it's not bad, but does feel very long. I'll give it 6 out of 10. I prefer it, like, obviously more than anything on Load and Reload. I'll give it a high 6 out of 10. Maybe a low 7. Fair enough. I'm just saying, like, I just want the snare in my dome. And then this Viking. Here we go. Oh. You live in a Kirk Hammett. Live in a lion. You live in a lion. Love it. You know, I now, here's the thing about this record. There's a lot of terrible lyrics. Wow. I'm like, people will really like that or really hate that line right there. Yeah. I, the live the live it or lie and the lifestyle death style. Love yeah. it. You know what's weird about I'm just sitting there it's like personally I'm like I'm like, dude, that's just it's really bad. Yeah. But so bad you remember it. You know what's interesting about this to me is that like I hear bands use the snare. Most of them are like noise or hardcore acts, but I hear people use snare sounds like this, so I don't know. Anyway. I'm ready to move on. Alright. Uh, was n- now it's the self-title. This is Saint Anger. 
Uh, I have a special connection to this oh, song. Oh, the snare sounds extra fucked on this song. Yeah, I listen, don't know why. Let's listen. Well, it's just well, all it, Tom's. Well, it gets better, but yeah. That's right, it's Tom's. Um, but yeah, no, I have a special relationship with this song. And by special relationship, I mean... Just feel like, it. Dude, the snare sounds so fucking brutal right there. Like, the Saint Anger snare is never the Saint Anger snare more than when it's on Saint Anger, the song. Yeah. But yeah, my special relationship with this song is... So fucked! This is one of the only other, like, three Metallica songs I actually know how to play. Um, but yeah. Such a brutal snare. I remember that shit more than whatever fucking Peyton Parrish. Do you even know what the snare sound like on that? No. And you hear dynamics! No, no, no. I, dynamics! I, I, you can hear the, the it gets quieter in volume because Lars has to play lighter. Yeah, I know what the snare sounded like on Peyton Parrish. It sounded, um, sounded big. You don't remember it. It's just such a generic snare. I like this song. I think that main riff is just crunchy beyond all reason. Uh, it's catchy. There's not a lot of lyrics, but you remember them. And yeah, I just think it's great. You flush it out. You flush it out. It's great. What do you is think? it flush or push it out? You flush it out. Oh, yeah. I gave this one an eight. I don't know if I like it better than Frantic or less than Frantic. Well, for me, this is a guilty pleasure. I gave it a high six at first. I'll give it a low seven. The flush it out is pretty cringe. But Being real, like, if I had to be, like, just normal and realistic, it's yeah. pretty cringe. Like, a lot of this stuff is not good. But it's, like, good where it's, like, so not good. It's, like, how the fuck do you end up but putting that? But when he says you flush it out, he means, like, his emotions or something. Plus, the fuck it all and fucking no regrets. That's a callback to uh, Damage Inc. And then there, there's... Hey, you know, hey, you, you've nerded on this album more than I have. I'm literally telling you my first time at Impressions listening And the to hit it. the lights, you know, hit the lights, you know, the song. So, yeah, there we go. Cool. All right, now next one. Some kind of monster. Some kind of monster. Okay, so this song, I'll... So, the playing in the, the beginning of this right here as you're listening, it's just awkward and off and bad. You can actually hear Lars's snare rattle in the background. Um... I'm really mixed on this song. Depending on the day, it's either like a low six or I guess what you would call a five or high five. I like how heavy the riff is and the lyric, the lyrical content is interesting. I mean, they're literally constructing a monster, whatever metaphorical or literal sense that speaks to you. And I, and I think the song might actually be heavier than like Sabbath True. Um, I whoa, just think it's whoa, that's a big statement right there. Well, in tone, atmosphere, and just that's how. I don't stuff. know. True is pretty fucking heavy. Oh, and then there's whatever this is. You hear that? Oh my god. Um, but yeah, it's oh. too long. This, oh yeah, this song is eight and a half goddamn minutes, and it does not need to be. A lot of these songs are really long. I think I'll go with my five, and I say that because if I feel like throwing on Saint Anger, I might skip this song. Bro, they haven't even done lyrics yet. We're still on intro. Yeah. Either way, I just wrote down LOL, new Metallica, bro. Either way, some of the playing is awkward and bad, and this right here is fucking annoying, but it's still a lot more interesting than whatever was on load. I think it gets better once the I'll lyrics- I'll give it a high five out of 10. I think the lyric- I think it, when the lyrics come in, whatever you think about the lyrics, I think it makes the song a little better. But I don't know if you want to get- I'll do- <laughs> I don't know. When does fucking lyrics come in? How, how long has the song been going? How long has the song been going? A minute and 40, a minute and 50 now. <laughs> We're about to reach two minutes. Where are the fucking lyrics? It's right after this. 
It's right after this. Are you sure? It's right after this. Are you sure? It's right after this. I don't think it is. There we go. There you go. To drop your trust. And now, yeah, this is where I wrote down new Metallica lol. Homie's just like freaking groove rhyming. He means new like new metal, by the way. Yeah. I really wrote down NU Metallica. This is the voice of silence no more. All right, we can go now. All right. All right, Dirty Window, a song they actually play on their set list these days. Hell yeah. So this song, so I'm, I'm going to give this song a seven. And I hate what I wrote here because it's how I feel, but I feel like I know how you're going to react. I like this song. This song is hella catchy and it's really bouncy. Oh, uh huh. Remember when I told me like a fucking new metal song? Come on, you can bounce to this. You can groove to it. Yeah, you can shake them. I think you're a sucker for bounce riffs. You can. It's all right to admit it. I I I just think Dirty Windows a really uh, underrated gem, and uh, yeah, I stick by myself. The window. It looks different, so different than what you see. Yeah, I just wrote that on the song. Feels manic. It's a. How long is this song? Uh, this song's like five minutes? Either way. As I said, this song feels manic because it just goes all over the place. I give it a low six out of ten. Yeah, I think it's good. Am I who I think I am? Alright, next one. Invisible Kid. Oh, this is one of Rob Trujillo's favorites. Oh, uh, dude, it's so, it's so fucking down tune right now. I was like, <laughs> wait, are we listening to Metallica? This song, I would say, is a... This song's a light seven, and I wish I could give it more. But here's the here's the thing I always forget about this song when I put it on. This song too is eight and a half minutes. It, it's fucking long. It's a good one, but I don't know if it needed to be eight and a half. I like the lyrics on this one a lot. I think this might have some of the better lyrics since. Well, I like Frantic and Saint Anger, but like I feel like it's been the best lyrics since the start of the album. Um, and like you know, and oh, and I love what they do for the chorus. That whole, uh, open your heart, I'll be right here, right now. Open your heart, I'll be right here. Right now. If you, Because the lyrics should be displayed on there. If you just want to play that real quick, it'd be great. Invisible kid got a place of his own. We'll never be known in what he's grown. Invisible kid never see what he did. Got stuck where he hid, falling through the green. Invisible kid got a place of his own. We'll never be known in what he's grown. Yeah, I just wrote down, you know what? It is long. This is some down tune ass guitars. Well, then I wrote down Corn Talica here. No, that's a later song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just wrote down, I was like, you know what? It's fun, though. Yeah, it is. How how dare St. Anger be better, had way more funner tracks than Load and Reload? Okay, there is Fuel. Yeah. There's some really good songs. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. as an album. Want your crunch, but it's, it's all, all too much. much. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this, this, this is where we get into the chorus. Hey, look, we're about to hit two minutes, and they've already went to hit. Got yeah, to this the is already better than some kind of monster. Jesus fucking Christ! Oh wait, I forgot they do a pre-chorus right here. The whole "I'm okay" thing. Yeah. But yeah, you know, so far, you know, this album, it's like, yeah, it's kind of dark and heavy in the first few songs, but like this song and uh, "Dirty Window," they feel kind of fun, you know? Yeah. 
Which like, is musically, good. it's fun to listen to. Like, yeah, it's still dark. But it, um, but yeah, it feels kind of lively. Yeah, like way more life than load and reload. Yeah, those are just like, all right, we're gonna just make some songs. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Oh yeah. All right, I go. Open your heart. I'll beat it right here. Your mind. I'll beat it right here, right now. <laughs> right here. So many just the yeah, random like insert vocal hits. Right now. I love it. Uh right, let's go into the next one. Uh, my world. So this one's another five, and with that, I mean this is a song that sometimes I skip. I think it's all right. I think the main riff that they're about to play. It's okay. Sounds kind of cool. I think it might be the lyrics that don't do it for me, mainly because I'm hearing James Hetfield say stuff like "the motherfucker's got in my hand," <laughs> and literally like the last verse on the song, he says, "Look out, motherfuckers, here I come." Oh my god, I have to pull it up. <laughs> damn it. Oh, and then he says the word sucker. He's like, it's hey, my damn. world now. Take it forever to get to the fucking porn song. <laughs> you know, you can click on, if it shows the lyrics, you can click on the lyrics and it'll take you to that part. If it's time synced. It's my world now. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something not as good about it as the last few songs. I know. So what? So what were you want me to look up? Oh, oh yeah. my God! This one. Yeah, yeah. What the? Only do I not know I don't even know what the question is. It's so good. That's, that's a, a good part. That's a dumb fucking line. I don't know what the answer. I don't even know what the question is. Yeah. What? Not only do I not know the answer, I don't even know what the question is. Uh, what was it I'm looking at? Oh, yeah, I was... Oh, I was saying the... Uh, oh, I think it's here. <laughs> oh, man. But see, they're still having fun. Uh, I give it a five out of ten. This is a, yeah. the song is kind of really terrible. Like, yeah, it's memeable. <laughs> oh God, shoot me again. Okay, here we go. So it does take a bit. To, I guess the fucking start. Is it lagging? Oh, here we go. So I wrote here. Hey, James's favorite song. So lyrically, I mean, we'll talk about lyrically what the song's about when we get to the. Uh, when we get to the uh, documentary, but I think this is the song where the album like really um, starts to I know the song made you laugh, but I think this song is where the album like really commits to the like to, to like the dark tone, the dark tone. Yeah, the dark tone, like lyrically and musically. I give it a six. because I do think the song's pretty good, but it, it, it's not the strongest on the album, I will say, but it is better than I think better than some kind of monster and this is better Bro, than this my is, uh, this song is memorable for its fucking chorus uh, <sighs> let me just get to it yeah please oh yeah I wrote down on my Metallica stoning like god smack right here I just wrote down like lol yeah what was it better like, fucking go away yeah I'm like yeah this sounds like some god smack but then, bro, the shoot me again, I'm not dead yet. I'm, 
Headfield has done some great lyric work in the past on the Black Album. Really great lyrics. But this is definitely not easy to consume. Also 5 out of 10. But oh god, this goes on forever. It's like the, but I believe- The song is 7 minutes and 10 seconds. Alright, here it is, people. Here we go, here we go. It's so bad. And the bass, too. And this part. I do like this kind of frantic, if you will, uh, yeah. thing here where he's just screaming, or manic. shoot me, shoot me, you know? Oh, but back to the God smack. Uh, next one, Sweet Amber. So this is a song that I forget I like quite a bit. This is another six, but this is one... I'll just say right now, this song is... I thought, when I first heard this song, I thought, oh, is this about some kind of, like, parasocial, like, parasitic social relationship? Is this about, like, some kind of thing like that? No, this is about how Metallica got pissed at that radio station in the movie. So... <laughs> So. Man, watch your back so I won't <laughs> Watch your back so you won't stab mine Get in there with your own cash uh, but Oh yeah. god This song's also about fame too And bit the backstabbing nature of the music industry uh, Think of it like a prototype To moth into the flame off Hardwired As far as like lyrics go But yeah I think the song's okay It's a 6 I think it's better than Shoot Me Again But Shoot Me Again is like extra bad like, how the fuck did it... The Great Metallica... That was a, that was a Lars song. That was like, you know, friggin', you know, Doug great songs, like, friggin', you know, Unforgiven. Yeah. Done songs that... What's his face? Oh, God. Oh. Elton John. Yeah, Elton John. Oh, yeah, Nothing Else Matters. That he was like, this is get, one of the most beautiful songs me. ever. Yeah, and then we get Shoot Me Again. I did, yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. So, what I thought about the song, it felt kind of like some filler. But it had some hard riffs. And then, oh my god, the movie like makes this song like give it way more attention than it needs to be. Yeah. And like then I lot. also end up spacing out because then I was like reading a, reading a manga. And I'm like, okay, I think I need to take a break. I can't really listen to this anymore. Uh, like, because I was like, I was like fading out of paying attention. It's like, I need a break. I do think this part is cool. But yeah, it's a good song. It's a better film. Alright. Now, the unnamed feeling. Oh my god, seven minutes. Fuck, a, a lot of these songs are long, so fucking long. This is a, I don't know, maybe, well, okay, so I'm gonna come out with, this song is another, is a good eight. This is also not only my favorite song. Damn. This is not only my favorite song on the album, this is one of my favorite Metallica songs. I think this song has maybe the best lyrical work on the record, and it's the one I resonate the most. I like this song that it strikes to me a good balance between heavy and melodic and honestly because i always forget this was the fourth single they released um for the record uh i always forget that kind of like uh it just feels so different than the rest of the album i can't really explain it maybe, maybe it's the way maybe it's the way it's written or sung or something but um yeah the uh, the song just feels so different you know what i mean well I wrote down, lol, Corntalica, five out of ten. Five out of ten. A little slow but heavy, yeah. This song is great. 
Yeah, so right. Like this part right here. This part's like. I think this is where I was like, yeah. Qu- and that weird thing Lars is doing right there. I just like the I just like the lyrics. Been here before I couldn't say I liked it. Apparently the song's about anxiety, but yeah, there you go. Here's the thing. As we will be going into the documentary, James has a lot of fucking anxiety through this time period. Yes. Alright, where am I at? Oh yeah, let's get into the next song. If I can get to it. Alright, <laughs> purify. So I give this one a light seven. This song's intense. Like the pro- like like the last song and the next ones are, but this one is really just like punch the wall intense. It has a killer as a What good- is this of Kyle slamming a monster and then punching his hand through the drywall? Yeah, why do you why do you always have to default to white trash? Homie, I don't know why my thought came to it. I just I think it has killer riff and it has a driving beat. The lyrics really fit the mood. Yeah, sure. It's like purify, do it out, purify. I just think it's really good. And like I said, I like I think it's I think it's intense. All right, so for me, I wrote down it's not the worst. I give it a high five out of ten for a listen. But there is like an outro on it that we did not need. It was like, wait, why do you have this outro like riff? This song's going on forever. But I think I was like, I'm at the finish line. Uh, last song, all within my hands. Fucking eight minutes or 45 seconds. Jesus Christ. So I know it's long. Um, uh, yeah, it's almost nine minutes. But I gave this one a I gave this one a seven partially because so I think this is debatably the most intense song on the album, and it feels like this this song feels like a culmination of everything we've heard so far on this record. Like vocally, there's parts where Hetfield just goes fucking nuts on this one, and it's long, but I just like the vibe. And actually, Hetfield said in an interview just last year in October, this song is kind of about Jason's departure, but it's specifically about James's control issues that he had at the time. So there's that element into it too. Dude, the fucking snare where you, there's no fucking wires right now. <laughs> um, I, I like the themes it's singing about, you know, about being possessive because Hatfield, it's well-documented in Metallica's history. He's been possessive and controlling. And the song to me really puts you in the mind of someone like this because it's being sung by someone like this and I, I actually really like the ending too with the kill 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 oh I was gonna bring that up uh, but yeah that's my thought I just wrote down kill 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 bro the ending is so unintentionally funny I give it a light 6 out of 10 but the song itself is no different than anything else on this record which I'm sorry there's this issue with this one record a lot of these songs were kind of the same of each other same dynamics maybe just switched around it's just there was kind of no difference but um, let me get to the kill 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 oh yeah sure that's like the end of the song about the kill all my hands again you know where it's like the <laughs> I'm sorry it's so goes again he lets out a gnarly scream though at, on the last one 
I, just, I like how uh, I like how this song just ends really just heavy and bleak like this. Yeah, I think that's why I give it a last six out of ten. I was entertained by the kill, 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 kill. I was like, I know you're serious, but you sound so fucking goofy. I'm sorry. Is it because it's the Hetfield voice? That does not help. <laughs> I don't think he can do shit. Like, I think the Hetfield voice just does not help on that. All right, so I have a score of 110. I gave the the uh, I tallied my score. The re- you ever gonna count your score someday? No. <laughs> the album gets a seven. The album gets a 74. Um, out of out of 110 mm. from me. Uh, do you want to give your final thoughts on the album first? So as I said, a lot of this like so. I felt like this record's way more interesting to listen to than Load and Reload. Does it deserve its bad rap? That's like a yes and no. Mm. This is um, if you fucking like Metallica and if you want to say fucking Metallica, that's not this record. Mm. It's a fucking weird record, and at times it's fucking bad like how did these great musicians that have come up with great stuff in the past just come up with some really bad stuff but uncompared to like load and reload where it was just boring this wasn't boring it's so bad where it's like damn i almost want to listen to that again (laughs) kind of thing and the fucking just like yeah how like the production just sounds fucking raw it's like yeah i enjoyed that like yeah because there are dynamics as i said you're literally hearing a snare go what happened to the fucking wires on that one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's like no snare wires. It's just, yeah, no, the snare is brutal, obviously, but I like the, I like think of the snare. Like, this is a Metallica record. Like, compared to Load and Reload, I actually listen back to this more than those two. Like, I listen to those once and I'm like, I don't need to listen to those again. This again, I was like, you know what? I'll throw this on. I'm in the mood. I'll fucking think of the snare. <laughs> but there is the issue with this album that I feel like is just all these songs are basically the same song, front to back. Maybe lyrics are different, but I'm just saying when it comes to the dynamics, comes to the playing, it's not like when you listen to like, let's say it was bring up an album like Master of Puppets. It starts uh-huh. fast, has mid pace, then really heavy. Like those songs you could tell are different. These are kind of the same thing. It's like they'll have like a fast part and a slow part and just like a little like quiet part and then just like back in the manic speeds and stuff and just like maybe a heavy riff. Yeah, but. That's the kind of one issue with this album. It's just like kind of the same thing. Now, obviously, the Black album, there were songs on that one where like, all right, this is kind of turning into like the same song. And you can say it have a load and reload. But especially like this. But with this one, though, like front to back, I feel like a lot of the songs, honestly, how they're like composed, how they're written. It's just literally you're just they're swapping parts around on each other. That's my thoughts on the record. You got any closing thoughts? Yeah, I'll try to keep. I, I pen them down so hopefully I wouldn't ram. You know, I, I would risk ram. I would uh, cut the risk of rambling. But so to me, if you let yourself get invested, like in the album, and look at the majority of the lyrics and stuff, what I like about the album is, I mean, I like the songs, obviously, you know, tone and all that, and uh, what the album's talking about, but. But specifically, uh, when I think of when I think of saying anger, I think of like a feeling. I think of like a mood. I think of like an atmosphere. And what I always liked about the record, and um, to me, the documentary can enhance or can take away, um, especially because of how they perceive the record. But like to me, the record feels like unhealthy, 
and at some point it's almost kind of like toxic and fucked up. Like it's just pure raw. Like like there's frustration, there's rage, and there's bits of comedy into the unintentional. I'm sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> unintentional. I'm sure. But like it's so bad you end up laughing because <laughs> it's just campy. But for the most part, one thing that I find interesting about the record is despite the light moments is that tone wise, there's like no light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? Like the last song is literally we heard. Yeah, it can maybe cause a laugh. But Hetfield is like, you know, screaming kill, kill, kill over and over again about a song about how he kills what he loves because he's possessive. And it ends on, it ends on, it, unlike any other metallic record, it ends on feedback and noise and Hetfield holding that scream. So I really always like the vibe that like this is, in a, I mean, I'm sure Lars and Kirk had baggage too, which they talk about, but this is, this, you can almost make the argument that this is a kind of Hetfield solo record almost. Just one that Lars Oric had a lot of input in. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the things I always liked about the album. I mean, yeah, I heard the record in the for the first time in high school when I'm getting into Nine Inch Nails. So obviously, an angry, I guess, if you wanted to be that Angst. guy, yeah, you could say angsty, angsty young moody, teenager, you know, emo, whatever. Um, but the thing that always, uh, you know, that always got me was how the album overall just sometimes feels like oppressive. In its negativity, it's not like a niche thing. The uh, it's not a niche things that albums like this are, but the atmosphere it creates is pretty much like nothing else. And you know, to me, the album still speaks to me even after I heard it for the first time. God, we're talking like somewhere between ten and thirteen years ago. And I just think in that way, good or bad, it has that weird kind of staying power. Um, I guess I'll just cap off with saying, um, you know. I always say I like when bands experiment, but that doesn't mean I'm going to like it. I feel like because it's a subjective thing, but this is an album. You could call it an experiment or whatever, but it's one that I really like. And I feel that in that way, it's that most um, it's that it's the most honest uh, record they have, or at least one thought or at least one of the most honest records they have. Because uh, you even said you threw on like a little bit of Death Magnetic after you listened to it. And it's like, wow, this is like a way safer record. Yeah. And that's the thing. Black, uh, Black Album. The Loads, Reload, uh, it's not Reload, The Loads, and St. Anger, those are not safe records. You could argue maybe Reload was, but they were double album, you know? So that's one of the things I really Yeah, like Reload felt it. like some B-sides. And, like, the album just feels like Hetfield just got a scalpel and cut himself open, and whatever fell out was on the CD. So for that artistic, personal thing, I really like it. But honestly, to sum it up, I just think, uh, I think, the, I just think the album's good. I think some of the songs are good. Last thing I can say, though, maybe an hour and 15 minutes is too long, though. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like St. Anger. It's always going to be one of my favorites. I, I love uh, I just I, I just love it. So, yeah, there we go. All right, cool. Well, let me get a timestamp. We're going to take a break. I'll grab a timestamp and then we'll hop into the main event as we talk about this album even more. Hell yeah, brother. All right, listeners, to anyone that are just coming from the timestamp straight to the main event, it's now time for the main event. Ain't that a fucking oxymoron sense? All right. Yeah. Good host said, what do we listen to this week? We uh, we watched the uh, St. Anger documentary, Some Kind of Monster. Yeah, we review the album right now. If you want to go through and listen to our opinions on that one, spoiler alert, it's not negative. Well, it's, most, it's mostly positive. It's positive enough. And not just for me. James liked aspects of it too. Yeah. Be it ironic or unironic. Yes. 
shoot me again, James. I'm not dead. Yet. Yeah, shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. But yeah, this movie is. Uh, I watched this movie all the time uh, back in uh, like the high school, a little bit post high school days. But I hadn't seen this documentary in a long time. There's a lot of memes that come from this album, which we will cover, or this uh, movie, which we will cover in depth. But for the most part, yeah, it's um. I always thought this was a good documentary, but it's more than just the making of Saint Anger. It's about uh, where Metallica was for uh, you know prior to recording and during the whole recording process, which took them almost two years to record this record because of reasons, uh, and then also the fallout from Jason Newstead leaving. It's very packed. There's a lot in it, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a bit to get through, but we've got the notes, brah, so we're good to go. All right, so let's start how the movie opens up. I think there was some text, but literally actual footage. Oh, really quick. I'm sorry. Didn't Bone Seal have some words? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Should yeah. Should we save them for the end? I don't know. Like, we're going to go through a lot, so... Okay. Uh, maybe I should just bring it up while I still can. Sure. All right. What... Did Mr. Hot or not? Mr. Hot or not? Or good friend Bone Steel really say? Drake Bone Steel. I don't know. Maybe I'll, we'll see. We'll most likely fuck it up right now. You can play this on the podcast. I only have one thing to say Thanks, about Jake. Saint Anger, and it's the perfect example of why metal fans are so punishing and literally such little bitches about everything. I think this might have it's been obviously more one of the biggest things they complain about on the album is the snare tone, right? However, literally the same year that album was released, if you just jump over to the emo side of things and listen to um, the album In Love and Death by The Used, I literally dare you guys on the podcast to pull up the song All That I've Got by The Used. You're going to notice that the snare in that album and that song are within the same family as the snare in St. Anger. It's like metal fans... He crossed their arms and bitch and bitch and bitch about literally anything. And while these two snares aren't the exact same, they literally derive from the same production technique of loosening or turning off the tension rods on the snare. Yet one snare is absolutely panned yeah, by the entire audience yeah. that, you know, supposedly loves this genre. And the other snare, being the one from the the used record that John Feldman produced, is heralded as one of the best snares, you know of any emo album ever. So it just goes to show it depends on how open the fan base is to what they're hearing. And obviously old heads that, you know, were listening to Metallica, even in 2004 when Metallica was only 20 years old, you know, weren't as adventurous as they like to claim to be. So anyways, uh, that is a thumbs down dog for the uh, metal fans and a thumbs up for the alternative uh, emo fans. So that's all I got to say about that. I thought it had uh, some words for the movie. Uh, it's hard to say with like loosening the spring tension because sometimes the spring tension gets more rattle and you kind of the goal is to try to get less rattle. Mm-hmm. Maybe there might be a little bit more ring with like less spring tension, but hard to say if there's more spring tension and just less rattle, then that means you would just get more resonance. So it's a weird science on that. So that's just me debating on good friend uh, Bone Steel. But let's check out the snare on the used. Okay, sure. Well, if my internet connection will work. Internet's really inconsistent in this space. Uh, Well, maybe the Wi-Fi, but not on my phone. My phone's, like, fine for the most part. I don't know why it's bugging out right there. No, we're not listening to Go to Distance again by Peyton Parrish. 
<laughs> to anyone that's just listening to the main event, if you go back to our hot or not, it was basically me roasting some Viking bro with his just mid singing. So Peyton Parrish, yeah, Peyton Parrish. If you really like Peyton Parrish, I apologize. I don't have positive opinions on him musically. Plus, I don't like Viking stuff. So, but let me pull up the used when I get there. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, maybe. What's your opinion on the on the Saint Anger snare overall? Well, overall, I think I think if nothing else, I think it's maybe the thing that defined the albums the most, the album for most, for better and for worse. But I just think it suits that record, the what they were going for, what they were playing and stuff. So I think it works for that. And I and I told you this, I think, off camera, but I've heard that snare, not exactly, but I have heard snares like that in other music, typically on the more extreme side of, sides of music, um, and definitely not that loose, I guess, if you want to put it like that. Yeah, but. It's, it's really hard. But I never had a problem with the snare. I can understand if maybe the snare sounds like it's too goddamn loud, especially on the title track. Yeah. Where the snare just feels like it's up to fucking 11. Uh, let's check. Let's hear the used. Well, we can't hear it right now. Uh, let's see. Let's see a hot or not. See if he has a good uh, track record. Yeah, there's a resonance, but it's not as brutal as the St. Anger snare. Yeah. I'm about to say, I think Limp Biscuit also kind of had a pretty, like, kind of a fucking snare, t- had, like a pretty ringy snare, too. He said Limp Biscuit. Well, <laughs> okay, the snare does sound a little brutal here. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty brutal snare. Tick, 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 tock. Round my neck. Oh, I shit. I think this had like. No, that was. Oh, yeah, you hear it. Oh, rip it, someone's head off. Oh, my. But yeah, no, I don't know why. Sanger just has a very brutal snare. Do you think this podcast would piss off any old heads? Oh, these posers, they they like the St. Anger snare, and then they used to back up their claims. They used an emo band and Limp Biscuit. These guys are posers. They're not real metalheads. Yeah. Cause music I, opinions suck. Yeah, I, I don't like metal. I think metal sucks. Oh, for the most part, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you want to get to this documentary now? Yeah, let's get to it. So it opens up with some text talking about the Metallica at the time period. Yeah. And then we see music critics being led into HQ as yeah. they listen to Frantic. All right, go from there. They're being corralled into a room and being told, all right, you're going to hear the new album. No cameras or audio devices. But then we cut into a room where they're clearly being filmed and we can hear the audio. So yeah, like, okay. but there's the documentary crew. I think they have yeah. access. The caption narrates I don't how- think we need these fucking schmucks with the notepads, like, with their video cameras. Yeah, yeah. The captions narrate how this is the band's first new album in five years and how relations in the meantime were at an all-time low. We see rock and metal journos asking them a bunch of questions. Uh, but then we hang on one specifically. Are you talking about the solo interviews? Yeah, yeah. We just, just see what the band members, what looks like it more like present tense, presence yeah. tense for but, like the documentary. But we hang on one that specifically asks James Hetfield. 
one word to describe your whole career. And then uh, Hetfield like is like one word. He kind of laughs, but then he like looks up at the ceiling wistfully, like he's actually thinking about it. But then we see footage of them throughout the years playing Seek and Destroy. Yep. Like from the Mustang years all the way through the Black Album and Load Tours. Yep. Title card, some kind of monster. Yeah, I just wrote down, yeah, Cliffs and Metallica playing Seek and Destroy through their lives, including all the bad haircuts they had. <laughs> There's some bad, awful haircuts. You see, guys and James, you see the monster, the some kind of monster. It's the band. It's the idea of Metallica. So fucking clever, dude. So then, yeah, after the, like, um, friggin' title scroll, we have MTV News. Breaking news. Jason Newstead quits Metallica after 20 years. They said after 20 years, but he wasn't in the band for 20 years Yep. Um, for private and personal reasons. But the reality is Homeboy got fed up with their bullshit. Yep. And then here we go. We cut to the fancy schmancy hotel where they're meeting with their therapist and basically co-star of the movie Phil Toll. Yep. He does a lot of talking in this movie. See, he's the therapeutic help they've employed to help them overcome their differences. Now, Phil audience is a contentious character to people. He's not as crooked a therapist as, say, Brian Wilson's. But as the movie goes on, you'll start to see him start to wear on everybody. So he's talking to Metallica about egos. Yep. And then Lars says... Well, with the cameras here, will we lose that intimacy of just a few people in a room? Or will we go like to being like macho bullshit and battling each other? And Hetfield says, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Phil says, well, the only thing that uh, will be affected is if you're willing to let yourselves be seen by people and open up. And they talk for a bit and everyone's kind of like, huh? Okay, but then the blaring opening of Dirty Window accompanies us as we travel to the Presidio. Yep. As I said, I just have to just like to sum up what their like first visit with the therapist. Basically, yeah. Metallica is worried of themselves, of their personal inner relationships with Newstead leaving. So it's like maybe we should have a therapist and really talk this out. Also kind of interesting, he says, you know, if you're willing to let yourself be open and seen by people. Interesting to note, you ever notice that like... like no, also Lars, I guess, at one moment says, like, they haven't really talked for nine months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. is worried about all the filming this stuff. They haven't really a, talked for nine months, and they haven't played anything in nine months, too. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to say, you know, the point of the part about he telling them, you know, the willingness to be open and seen. You ever notice that, like, the Metallica dudes, if you go on their Wikipedia pages, we don't really know that much about them compared to other people. And I'll just mean Beals and stones but like other rock stars they're they're really private people yeah but then yeah they're going to the presidio they're gonna uh record here as it's we basically the presidio is like this like freaking empty out military barracks that they rented out that they're setting up a makeshift studio because they want to have like a grungy garage like vibe going in yeah the sound guy is telling him how um i think it's like more like the studio manager yeah yeah He's talking about how they wanted something different and stripped down, something uncomfortable. He says, don't paint the walls. Don't get new furniture. Keep it Spartan. Keep it crude. Meanwhile, Lars has his own personal sound mixer right next to him. Uh -huh. so that's kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, really stripped down, guys. So quick interview cut. Question is, how did you guys write well, them? They're playing in some rented out barracks. Like, yeah, how dare Metallica have nice equipment? I don't, I just thought it was funny because they're like, yeah, we're going to keep it stripped, stripped down garage style. But he literally had one of those things okay. to your left there, the sound thing. He literally had one of those on a stand next to him. Yeah. I, just in, just, I just feel like it's funny because like stripped down personal mixer. So quick interview cut. 
question is, how did you guys write the record? And they all say, well, this time we came in with no ideas, no riffs, not even titles. We just started playing. And that's how we came up with stuff. I'm like, oh, wow. Just like just like us. Mm -hmm. We see them fiddling around with riffs that I think get turned into some kind of. Yeah, we see them jamming. Yeah. And Bob Rock says it should sound like a band in the garage for the first time, except the band's Metallica. Then we cut to James in one of his like car rat feet cars. Yeah, yeah. So I just know we just have James. He's talking about I was like, yeah, I like to go fast <laughs> as he's driving slow in some death trap hot rod that yeah. looks like literally something could decapitate him. That thing looks unsafe. Oh, yeah, I like to drive fast. I'm like, bro, you're like going like 90 in that thing. Okay. He he likes to calm down there. He likes to be on the road because he says being famous feels strange and how being on the road it's freeing for him and he doesn't have to think about Metallica or being famous or whatever. And then we see him get a speeding ticket yeah so clearly he was going fast i guess fast enough in the front well he's in like some like industrial unit where i'm sure yeah. the speed limit is 35 so he's like all right i'm gonna go 60 here with this loud obnoxious fucking like dinky like death trap hot rod like no it's a good build it was a cool looking car yeah i just know it's like on a car like that i'm know. like i'm like sure you could go james is pretty into the in the car stuff and he from what i can tell from interviews i've looked up he you know knows the car aspect like tech stuff pretty good but i do also i think he's also very much one of those uh like style car collectors yeah like, he likes his cars to look cool he's a hot rodder He's, oh, a cla- he's, def- he's a classic the, the f- american hot rodder the fucking car show i met him at oh dude he's a fucking hot rodder so they're in the studio jamming some shit, and the movie notes that, that Bob is on base for this record. Yep. I actually kind of forgot the re- the uh, the movie doesn't really talk about Bob being on base too much, but they the, show him playing bass with the man in the deleted scenes. Though there's actually a lot more clips. I'm not going to go into detail, but there's a lot more clips of Bob on base specifically. And I always forget. My dad saw this one time. They played a random surprise concert in a Raiders parking lot with Bob on base. So my dad is one of the few people to actually see Bob Rock on base. What songs do they play at the concert? Oh, I haven't seen the scenes in a long time. I think for sure they showed them playing like For Whom the Bell Tolls, but in a couple others. Bob Rock is playing For, for whom, whom the Bell Tolls. Yep. Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to pull this up. Either way, I just know we see Bob Rock playing bass and then he pulls out some weird tool oh, to okay. make weird noises on Kirk's guitar. Yeah. And I need to say, right. Oh, yeah. Also, funny little thing. Uh, when he's doing the bass for, uh, I do remember this, when he's doing the bass for In My World, he capos the bass. He puts like a capo on it for like uh, the bass parts that are isolated. And I just thought that was interesting. So, yeah, they're in the studio and Lars, Lars and his hairy ass get a turn. And I wrote here, I totally forgot two things about this movie. One, Lars had the slim shady hair. Two, Lars was really into art. Old friend Frosty used to make fun of being like, look at me, I'm a painter. I paint stuff. I'm an artist. He used to, Johnny used to make fun of. Uh, yeah, of I just Lars. know he just well, Lars. Is like, I collected a lot of art paintings at this time. It just like he just goes in a whole philosophy about like, just art. He's like, when's like an like you know when's like a, what? Why does he feel like it needs those strokes and all those numbers? And it's like when's an art piece done? It's like when's a song done? When's a song? When's done? a project done? What the fuck does that even mean? It's all just, goddamn freaking advertisement. It's all just really interesting. But you hear his kid in the background being like, "Daddy's." Like, yes, sweetie. <laughs> so yeah, that's sweetie. It's like, yes, yeah, sweetie. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah, just so he's like talking about his art. Uh, here's Metallica's pop up show in the Raiders parking lot. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, this is obviously fuel. Yeah. 
So I'm trying to see what Bob Rock. He is there. There is footage of him. He's like really in the background. Yeah, I know. They and keep he, focusing on like James and Lars and Kirk's hair. Fuck a man, white knuckle tiny. Dun-dun-dun. He should be wearing shades. Ah, uh, let's just go hop to for okay. whom the bell tolls. They have to have the camera on him for this, surely. Okay, it's just my headphones. Do you not hear it? I do not hear It's so quiet. Oh, you barely hear it. What is that? It sounds funky, not distorted. Sounds like it should be based on a James Brown record. Yeah. (laughs) Bob just looks so awkward there. And what's funny... There's deleted footage of James and Lars like kind of giving Bob a hard time because they're like, you know, he won't admit it, but Bob actually wants to be the, the bass player for Metallica. Yeah. And Bob, he doesn't say it, but he's basically like, no, I fucking don't. <laughs> I think Bob might have been needed a, might have needed a break from these guys after this record. Like, I'm sure they might meet up for lunch once in a while or something, but I can totally understand if after St. Anger, they didn't want to work with each other anymore. All right. I have a question. Sure. So how was it that when your pop saw that? Like, how did that day go down? Uh, I only remember him saying, uh, I only remember him saying, yeah, I remember it happened. But honestly, uh, you know, I always have a good time when I go to a Raider game. But when Metallica was there, I was having an even more good time. I couldn't even tell you if we won or lost that day. Because Metallica, and I was like, "Well, like, I'm was glad your dad was- just well, like, was there even heads up, or was it just a pop-up? no?" As far as I know, it was literally just a pop up. As far as I know, it was just a pop up. He just said one day he heard Metallica he was there, he heard Metallica music happening, and then he's like, "Oh, it's Metallica." Okay, cool. But then he's like, "Oh shit, it's Metallica!" <laughs> so he walks over to Metallica, and they're just like, "Yeah," it's like, "Yeah, brother." <laughs> Yeah, brother. I've combed that. I've combed that footage to see if I can see him, but he must be kind of in the backish. But it's Metallica. They play loud. I'm sure he heard him just fine. Yeah. So back to the uh, documentary. And there look like a lot of bodies like stacked up on each other to see That's Metallica just a game in general. Yeah. <laughs> no COVID regulations there. Well, this was before <laughs> COVID. Um, actually, there's a random book from like 2007 or eight of this uh, doctor lady named Sandra Brown. That's still before COVID. Yeah, that, that that set was still before COVID. But yeah, Lars is trying to go on. He's in his he's in his nice ass. It's not, I he lives in like a studio apartment, I think, and he's trying to go on this thing about art. But his kid keeps calling. <laughs> what kind for of him. fucking apartment is two stories well, it, that well, could fit those huge ass paintings? Okay, well, I don't know why it just doesn't look like a house. It looks like it a, looks like a fucking house to me. Maybe yeah. yeah. But yeah, back in the studio, the vibes just aren't there. They have something that sounds like some kind of monster, and uh, you yeah. know they're jamming. But then we see Kirk surf. Yeah, we see Kirk <laughs> surfing, and him being stoked. I was like, yeah, I've been doing the sport for two years, and yeah. like it replaced a lot of just negative things, like doing just like drugs and alcohol, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. doing that won't be good. Like that won't help you like wake up in the morning and go surf. 
Also, being up all night won't help you really make you like surf. He says what he yeah. loves about surfing is the individual is like when you're out there and it's your moment, man, and you feel it. He's not even surfing some super gnarly waves, but you can tell he loves being out there. Yeah, he's like, you know, I like splash splash in the water. I don't, <laughs> just, I don't know how crazy his addictions were compared to the other guys. I do know that he. Well, I think Metallica had access. Well, I know he drank and did some coke and relapsed in the coke during the load era. Uh, and he said, yeah, he said he cut down on the drinking and cut doing the drugs he was doing because he wasn't able to surf. So that's why that's why that's why a he likes to surf and b he spends a lot of his money on memorabilia, a horror memorabilia and comic books because mm-hmm. it stays off the drugs. Well, now we see the next therapy session and then being open about them talking about the criticism of their own personal playing parts or so. Where yeah, they're just like, yeah, like Bob's center is like, yeah, I remember that you couldn't really talk about like Lars's drumming and you couldn't really talk about like James's lyrics, yeah. but it seems like you guys are open about like talking about that as we see footage from a year and a half of Metallica, which we reviewed the first half with them in the studio with good friend Bone Steel. Yeah, couldn't find the second half, not in its full, but yeah. Um, and he also said, like, you know, Lars and Kirk worked on the solos, so James couldn't comment on the solos, and yeah. Lars says basically what they used to do was they would take James's tapes and make songs around them. Like James would take his stuff to Lars. They would kind of, you know, and then Kirk and Jason, they would just kind of show up. Um, and that's, and that's how it normally goes. So James and James said like, it's, we, it was weird for him uh, to come up with, to write lyrics to everybody. Cause normally he would just, you know, go into his own head. Then we see him laying down rough lyrics for a rough version of some kind of monster. And man, it's fucking rough. Yep. And then Bob's like, What's the song about? It's like, what's the song about? And James is like, I don't know. It's about uh, some kind of like you're taking pieces of things and it's like some kind of monster. No, it's like you're kind of Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, like some kind of monster. And, and every, it's like, huh. And everyone oh, and everyone huh. and everyone's That's like, a good title. Yeah. Everyone's, I like that. They're like, yeah, they're like some kind of monster. And everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. Cut to James. Some kind of monster. Yep. Back with Phil. He just wrote down. Yeah, these lyrics aren't great. Back with. But James, these are the eyes that can't see me. This is the tongue that speaks on. So back with Phil, he gives them a mission statement, which basically comes down to let's come together, be super harmonious. And Lars and James are trying not to laugh the entire time. Yep. And we see James, Kirk, and Lars with kids in lap listening yeah. to My World. Yep. Which I guess was, because I know some kind of monster was like debatably the first song, but I guess My World was like the one of the first songs too. It's kind of funny though, because like Lars and Kirk, when like after the suck out part and like the down to down, they're trying to get the, like Lars's kid, Skylar, I think. No. Uh, That's James. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. They're trying to get um, one of Lars's kids or whatever kids to like headbang, you know? Mm-hmm. Lars is in another room. He's like, man, this is exciting to think about how we could just go into a room. and Because he's feeling that song. It's cool how we can just go into a room and just bang that shit out. It's yeah. like, man, it's really cool that we can cool. get together and write songs together. You could say that Lars was pretty just stoked on the jams. Now, what does Metallica do? Well, Two weeks later. James and Lars... Um, they went on vacation. Yeah, sorry, they went on vacation. They like jammed for like a couple weeks and then maybe a week. I don't know. No, it was two weeks. Sorry, I forgot I wrote a thing here because like, well, it was two weeks. They went on vacation, but how long were they jamming before that? Yeah, sorry. No, uh, I don't really know offhand. I just know I forgot. I got confused because I wrote something here. I said because uh, you know Lars is like, yeah, I'm stoked that we can just go in and just hammer out these songs together. But now what are they doing again? Lars and J- Lars and James just write all the songs now. Yeah. 
But yeah, two weeks later, they're all back from vacation, and, and James says, yeah, I just got back from Russia where they give out beer like water and I killed a bear. Yep. And they leave it at that for now. So at first it's like, oh, funny James Hetfield, you know. And then we see uh, James singing a song about temptation. I think it was he called it temptation, too. Now, you want to talk about a, I wrote and just here, a highlight video. I wrote here. I said, you want to talk about a song that sounded like grunge. Um, but it is. So the temptations about James is vice temptations. And while they while the songs going as the tempo picks up and up, uh, we see footage of Metallica, mostly James and excess partying over the years. I thought it was actually kind of intense. Then we cut to James talking to someone, and this is where he mentions that what happened was he basically went home, told his wife and three kids, yeah, I'm going to go off to Russia for a few weeks. And his wife's mm-hmm. like, what? And through that, he missed his uh, youngest kid's first birthday. And for whatever reason, I never yeah, really I registered was... that when I was younger and I watched this, but I saw this now. I'm kind of sitting there. I'm like, what the fuck? That's not cool. Yeah, that's kind of lame. <laughs> it's literally, it, it's literally he's apparent from what he said. He's just like, he's just like, comes home, uh, honey, kids, I'm going to go off to Russia like in a few days or tomorrow or right now. So bye. And misses his kid's first birthday. And he says, of course, we had a little toast to Caster. But, I, you know, it didn't make me hate Heffield or anything. But I was just, well, I, yeah. I didn't really register that as a kid when, or in high school, teenager, when he said that. And it's just, yeah. Wow. pretty Yeah, pretty lame. <laughs> so, and then we see Lars's son waddle in I wrote to the that space. Too. And then, yeah, he just why. like, he's just going like, yeah, this is where daddy works. What does your daddy do? Daddy d- hits the drums and then he just play. And then we see like Lars's kid dick around on the drums. Oh, he doesn't say drums. He says dumbs. Dumbs. He's, he's like, he looks at Lars. He's like, daddy played dumbs. And he's like, oh, I played drums a lot today, but it's okay. You go ahead and play drums for a while. And he just hits the shit out of these drums. Yeah, it's funny. And this is where the uh, this is where the cringy Melhead's like, Lars's kid is a better drummer than he is. So now we see Newstead. Here comes Newstead. He talks about how he wanted to do other projects because this is how he words it. He doesn't have kids and isn't involved with the music aspect of Metallica. So he fills his time with music. He specifically focuses on Echo Brain, which was kind of, I guess, an indie rock act um, Mm -hmm. with some mild psychedelic effects. But fun fact, he was going to do a project that had like, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, the singer from Tool and Trent Reznor in it. But Hetfield heard about it and he was like, no. And I'm like, damn you. But yeah, he says Hetfield was basically like, you know, he couldn't be in a band with him because he wasn't 100% dedicated and stuff. And they touch on it later, but I'll say it now. Lars and James have this fear of if someone did something outside of Metallica or whatever, that it would eclipse them. Like, we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah. Lars, but Lars, when, when they go, when we see the Echo Brain show, he literally was like, he's literally like, Echo Brain. He doesn't say it. Don't save it for later. Okay, okay, That's okay, a okay, good okay. moment. You're right. You're right. But yeah, and he said you're after, spoiling so much. Just let just talk about what Newstead said. And he says after 15 years of working together, he basically thought it was a shit deal. He also says that the idea, and he doesn't say it like this, but he basically says the idea of some big budget therapist coming in, he thought was really fucking lame. And really neat. lame. How can the biggest metal band in the world, yeah, the biggest heavy band of all time, just can't get in a room and talk to each other? They need a therapist. He hated the fact specifically that after everything and decision they've done that affected squillions of dollars and squillions of people. Yeah, he said squillions. Squillions. He said, yeah, he said this. We can't get over this. 
And yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer to see. And we see Hetfield immediately after this talking to someone in an interview or whatever. He says, yeah, he understands Newstead wanted to get his creativity out somewhere, but he said in his mind, he didn't want him to enjoy it more than Metallica. He didn't want anyone to leave Metallica. He didn't want to feel like Metallica was good enough. So James gets it right. Even back then, him him and Lars. No, that like, was future. No, that was future James. I couldn't tell how future. Like, was this after? I the feel like anytime process? you. I feel like yeah, like that James talking. I feel oh, like that yeah. was future James. Well, that's what I mean. Like this is like a few. This is like a few years removed from Jason leaving. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like even like back at that point, you know, like they got it. Like they had interviews in two thousand like three and four and five talking about it, but. Anyway, so we fast forward to day 39 of them jamming. There's a funny bit where somewhere, nothing really notable except a funny bit where James sees on a piece of equipment. Uh, yeah, I guess um, he wrote down. Yeah, uh, someone wrote Metlica instead of Metallica. And he's like, well, I guess I've been playing for like uh, 20 years with this band and I still don't know how to spell her name. So, and then, yeah, he's just sitting there. He's talking about how he's not inspired to write lyrics. And yeah. He's dreading not having lyrics. Yeah, he says he feels bad that he can't be creative all the time. So then they go back to jamming. They make a point to show us him drinking while they're toying around with my world. Mm-hmm. Lars says he feels he need, he feels compelled to come up with ideas or commit to someone else's ideas. Otherwise, he feels he looks like an asshole. Later, we see Lars driving across Bay Area Bridge on his way to work. And then Hatfield, nothing really happens for a while, okay? Hatfield's trying to get Kirk's attention, and they jam and stuff. But oh, yeah, that's the, day 44. But here's the part I wanted to get to. Yep. This fucking part. Oh, God, yeah. So James comes in. They're jamming, but then they're in the they're in the room or whatever. He's like, I'm in a shit mood. I'm in a shit mood. Bob is like, yeah, honestly, everyone uh, everyone's looking burnt. So they're jamming. Kirk has total cry face on the whole time. Yeah, you got Lars. He's like trying to sit there because we hear Lars just playing bad or just trying to play a weird bad beat. Yeah. Bob says like, yeah, it seems like everyone's burnt. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's just one of those days where jams. Nothing is coming. Sure. But here's where it starts. Oh, it yeah. starts with La- with James being like, um, he asking, he's asking Lars for, can you play like a more solid beat? And Lars is like, regular? He said. James is like, no, I know that word bugs you, so I'm trying not to say that. Then back in the room, Kirk is trying to, like, keep things optimistic, and James, you know, he's talking, he's like, well, you know, next week we have therapy, so, you know, he's like, do we have to meet Phil? And then Lars says, we gotta find a balance, and the Phil stuff is important, I hope we can all agree this is an investment for the band. Jam together, jam isn't going good. And then they're listening to it back. And James is like, hey, it's clever, but it jacks the vocals all up. And I have to tell you all, if you've never seen this word for word, what happens next? Laura says, I think that's how you hear it. And that's fine. I'm just trying to do something different. James is like, I'm used to the drummer doing the beat part. You yeah. know, Laura says, um, what I'm hearing let me choose my words carefully. He's munching on some gum this whole time, too, by the way. Yep. He's just like, what I'm hearing. He just, well, I'm hearing I, lo- is... I love Lars, but he looks like such a dick in this scene because he's got the slim, shady hair. He's all hairy. But he says, it's pretty straightforward. The little um, riff. The riff, it's a little stock. So I'm trying to introduce some edge. 
James says. Those things we throw at each other are complete bullshit. That's too stock. That's too normal. You're saying this shit so you can get your part about about a fucking drumbeat. It doesn't hold any water to you. It doesn't. I think it's fucking stock. What part of that is unclear to you? All these years later, that buildup <laughs> is hilarious. I, I think it's completely fucking stock. What part of that is unclear to you? That riff is stock, <laughs> all right? I'm trying to do a beat to maybe spice it up. It sounds stock to my ears. Do you need me to write it down? And James is like, oh, yeah, write it down. I can't hear you. <laughs> this scene rules. <laughs> this scene is awesome. It's the best. So then Kirk is like, guys, can we just go in and hammer it out? Arguing isn't going to help. We've got better things to do. And James is like, yeah, I do. I do. He gets up. He leaves. Slams the door. Intense, awkward silence. Bam! MTV News. Black man dressed in head to toe in red. James Hetfield checks into rehab. I'm like, well, damn. Damn. So James is I guess him just like Lars calling his riff stalk. You know, the way the documentary presents itself, it really sounds like James didn't like Lars's drumming and Lars didn't like James's riff. So James got so mad he was like, fuck you, I'm going to rehab. So then we see um so yeah, Lars James appears on them for like a year. Yeah. Like, straight up a year. And <clears throat> important to note, this is something I didn't Well, we don't learn about that as the documentary says. It's like, either way, we see that Metallica won't be playing at, like, was it Presidio? Presidio. Presidio again. And then we're hanging with Lars. And he's with Lars's dad and the therapist. They're yeah. outside on a nice hike. And, yeah, Lars is kind of being a little awkward around his dad. Or as uh, Lars called him in the commentary to this movie, uh, Metal Gandalf. Metal Gandalf. His dad is like, yeah, Lars had a good vision. And to me, they're right up there with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Like back then, like during when you're starting out, you had a good vision on where the sound was going to go. You had a good idea. And Phil's like, man, that must feel pretty cool to have your dad say your band is the shit, right? And Lars is like, "Um, yeah, but kind of hard to say it with him right in front of me <laughs> he says it's hard to show it's he says it's hard to show his dad new records because there's something on there he knows sucks so he shows them some of their demos and word for word well, like literally we're listening to a track and it's just yeah. a fucking bad soundscape yeah and they ask uh Lars's dad whose name I don't remember what does he think about it and then he goes if someone was asking me my opinion i would say delete that <laughs> lars is like lars said that lars was like damn cliff bernstein thought that that should open the record and lars's dad's like sure i might say that if i was in an echo chamber <laughs> i love lars's dad yeah he's just sitting there he's like yeah that's not good you guys are Metallica. And it's true, actually, when you see him later, you know, you kind of get that echo chamber feeling, too. But Lars's dad just cuts through the bullshit. Lars says, that, so now we're in therapy again. Uh, Lars says the situation is a shit sandwich and he's prepared for the worst. Kirk, uh, Kirk thinks it'll all come together because his personal belief is, you know, it, things will come together in time, but not knowing what time, that's the part that's uncomfortable. It's basically like they're talking about that with Hetfield being away. They might realize that they might accept the fact that the band might end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't know if James because James is 
radio silent. He's not talking to them. Yeah. We see Metallica playing Sandman at a festival. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the fucking Moscow footage. Which I wrote here. Then I'm like, wait a minute. That was actually probably just a show they were headlining. Yeah. Lars Wax is philosophical on James. He says, I think James was a more soft and compassionate person than he let himself be. He remembers the Mustaine days and how they engaged in, you know, in quote unquote macho bullshit. And Always that. engaged in some macho bullshit trying to pound at each other's chest. Yeah. And he felt alienated, but he understands with the alcohol and drugs, it was hard to communicate those things. Um, yeah, just basically he's like, yeah, when James drank and he was drunk, he kind of put up a front. Yeah, yeah. And I think he says it here where he says, you know, I can remember. Uh, actually, he says it later. I'll save it. So he's making all these neat points. But as he's talking about this, he's sitting in the sun with his blonde hair and his like little like Beatles specs. He looks like a white Stevie Wonder. Yeah. We cut to Kirk at his ranch and he's like, yeah, his fucking ranch. It's a nice looking ranch. Yeah. He's just sitting there. He's riding horses. He's got horses. And yeah. Shit. And he's just explaining like, this is where I escaped to get away from the pressures of the band. And yeah. then like Kurt explains that, yeah, he's talked to James and then James yes. is doing okay. But he's also explained that, yeah, rehab, they're not just going to try to work on your addiction. They're going to crack you open and see what you made of. And everything they're gonna break yeah. James down, so yeah, they don't just like start at the they don't just go to the root of the problem, they like go deeper. He says, and he says he thinks no matter what, everything will sort itself out, good or bad, it all works out. And then here comes Dave Mustaine, yeah. So, Dave Mustaine, for those that don't know, he was in the band, got kicked out for Megadeth, and he has hated well, mostly Lars, but he has hated Metallica ever since. Okay, so speaking of something working out good or bad, yep. <laughs> but almost, but also never working out too. His opening line is: "People all around the world say what a great guitar player Kirk is, and what a piece of shit I am." <laughs> this is one of the most famous parts of the movie, the Dave and Lars. I just know was like, like, dude, Dave now looks so fucking old, dude. He looked, like he seeing Dave old. here. Yeah, seeing Dave here was like, what the fuck? Like happened he already here? looked like he was getting old, but dude, ever since the chemo, he just it just aged him the fuck up. So this is something a lot, a lot of people know. Uh, I I thought it'd be interesting or important if I explained to you guys the um like weird relationship bullshit that goes on. So the the Dave Lars Kirk James relationship. So here's how it works, guys. Dave doesn't really like Lars, but he loves James Hetfield. His exact words, he said that. Lars loves James, but when it comes to Dave, differences aside, he always props him up in like interviews and stuff and professional, and he actively listens to Dave's music. He says that. And he always seemed to want to at least be cordial. Dave thinks Kirk's a geek and claims he fucked his girlfriend after he got out of, clicked out of Metallica. Mm-hmm. And Kirk's indifferent to Dave, thinks he needs to let go of the past. James doesn't seem to be a big Dave fan, even though Dave clearly likes James. He was still, he even said when he, uh, he found out he had cancer, James sent him a text and he was really stoked on that. Not mentioning that Lars, who said later in an interview that he reached out to Dave too. James is always very tight lipped when speaking about him. The one thing that all four of those guys agree on was that they all loved Cliff Burton. So now with that out of the way, Dave says it's been hard to watch everything you do turn to gold. Oh, it's been hard. It's been hard, Lars. Every watching everything you do turn it's been to hard, gold. Lars. Watching everything you do turn to gold, and everything I do fucking backfire. <laughs> and this is what I told you about a few days ago. I wrote here. I'm sorry, Dave. 
I'm sorry that the loads insane anger are better than risk and super collider. Oh god, yeah. I always forget Dave's like old voice before he became an old man. He he totally had like a he totally had like that like Southern California like cadence to it. Yeah, dude. So it's mostly just James, uh, not James. It's mostly just Dave Mustaine venting. Lars tells him he feels guilty, but he says I don't fully comprehend that the one thing that you take away is just rooted in the Metallica thing. Then Dave asks him, have you ever thought about what I've been through? He says, people hate me because of you. You know, I walk down the street and some piece of shit goes Metallica at me. Metallica. And they, they, he even does the horns. And he's like, and they do that to taunt me. Every time I hear Metallica is all I can think of is I fucked up. And the segment finishes with him wishing things have been different, basically. There's some great... Yeah, he, like, wishes that, like, you know what? I wish it was 1982 with my, like, little Danish friend. (laughs) And then I just wish you just sit there and you would just convince me to just go to AA. Which, in historically, it's like, that's bullshit. Yeah. You were, like, beating the shit... You were, like, able to beat the shit out of them. Yeah. And you were kind of wild, and I think... Unpredictable. And, yeah, um... I don't think like if this is what the history books say, and if it is correct, yeah, that I don't think you would have accepted AA. No, I think I just them anything for that chance. He says, "I'm like that's bullshit." I don't think I don't. I have like supposedly history says you are a wild nut, yeah, and a menace, <laughs> and hard to deal with. So it's a. I will never know how Dave Elfson put up with him for 25 years. They, I think they party together. Well, yes. I think they kind of ignore it. But in the, Rust in, Peace, in the Rust in Peace book, Dave even says at the end, he's like, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Me and David aren't really friends. We just play in the same band together. And I'm like, that's brutal. Yeah. But yeah, there's some deleted scenes here. Won't really go through them, but it's just more. Um, it's just more exposition on how, you know, he was raised by a single mom and, uh, you know, he had nothing. And then it ends with him saying, you know, I wish James the best. I wish he was here, but also with Cliff was here. But I also want to bring up Lars in the DVD commentary to this has so great. So basically he picks Dave up to take him to the therapy session, but then he's driving them back. He says, he says, I get in the car and I have it set to the preset, whatever the preset is. And they're playing for whom the bell tolls. And so there's this awkward pregnant silence for two seconds. So then I switch it over to the next preset, um, to the station that doesn't ever play us. And they're playing enter Sandman. (laughs) 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 Everyone laughs and James is like, that's just kind of, reinforcing everything he thinks <laughs> so and Lars an awkward predicament so then we cut to a bar we cut to the bar where echo brain is gonna have their first show with hopscotch the echo brain dudes are stoked they have a short little interview. they're like hey man how you guys feel and they're just like oh dude it's fucking exciting you know, it's just a little bar show. This is nothing to Jason, but you could tell this is probably these guys' first little show. Oh, bar show. That's a good-sized venue that well, they're Well, no, playing. it is. It is, but I'm saying compared to Jason, who's been in stadiums for the last yeah. 10 years. Um, but, but the, yeah, they're, like, stoked. It's like, oh, they thought they were going to play some rinky-dink bar show, but instead, like, so it's, I guess Jason Newstead has clout to, like, hey, let's book a little bit bigger venue, maybe, so people want to come out and check things out. Yeah, Lars and Since Kirk- I've left Metallica, what, what's next for Newstead? Yeah, Lars and Kirk actually go down to watch the show, and yeah, Echo Brain's yeah, no, cool. No, Lars, Kirk, and Bob. Lars, Kirk, and Bob go down to watch the show, and yeah, they think Echo Brain's cool. Um... They had three albums. They were like, there's cool. sounds like, yeah, P- you got Lars. It's like, yeah, people made 
show way bigger than expectations. You think yeah, they were just he, playing he, some dive bar, but no, they're playing like an okay, like the little mini theater. He said, I don't know. I guess just turn this big old thing. And what I thought, or I guess what I had hoped for was it was going to be some dive bar, but now it's this big old thing. Big old thing just to talk to the town. And then we hear Echo Brain play, and it's like, yeah, it just sounds like some indie rock. Yeah. Big what? Then Lars, Kirk, and Bob go to meet Jason. Or and try guys, to. But apparently Jason dips. Kirk does say on the DVD commentary, though, that he actually ran into Jason later outside, which is part of the reason why he's not present for the next Kirk, uh, Bob, and Lars scene. So after that, Bob and Lars are chilling. And Bob recognizes several people working at the gig who are people that work at the studio with them. Lars recognizes no one, though, which I think is he's, <laughs> like, he's like, oh, look, that's Scott. Oh, look, that's like Andy or whatever. Oh, hey, there's 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 Ed. And then Lars is just like, who? And who? Bob's like, he works at the studio. And Lars is just laughing. And so Lars is freaking out because their crew is working this one gig for Jason. This one gig. <laughs> this one gig. And Lars says word for word, Hetfield's going to freak I'm in fucking hell. I'm in fucking and Lars, hell. Lars has a moment. He says, I just feel like such a loser. I start records. I can't finish them. I can't keep my band together. And then this part. Jason's the future. Metallica's the past. Yeah. <laughs> like you can see Jason right there. Just play. We can't even have anything new. No one knows what's going with Metallica. Just like, yeah. Jason's the future. Metallica's is the past. I'm like, lol. <laughs> I think Metallica did fine. I think so too. I think they even did better. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not like they were enhanced by Jason leaving, but yeah. So now at this point, we flash forward. Oh, I can tell you what Jason's playing compared to Robert's play. See, I think Jason Newsett is actually a really good basis. Like, if you listen to his performances, I would I would argue he was probably just as good. Maybe even slightly better than Cliff as far as a pure playing level. And granted, I don't know. We have a lot more of music with Newstead on bass and as a songwriter even to listen to. But like what I liked about Jason was he was good at keeping it simple, but he could also do complex. Jason Newstead never felt like a guy who had felt he had to make or play in complicated bands or music. You know, he was just like, yeah, I can just have a band. I can keep my, you know, that's why he could play for Ozzy or Voivod or whatever random thing he got picked up for. You know, I think Jason was a was a really good bassist. Yeah. And he just added a, a certain energy and life to Metallica, you know, when he was there, you know. But anyway, so we cut forward to now at this point, we're six months removed from James leaving. Kirk says, because uh, this is where he reveals he's been in contact with James to Lars, and he says he's working on his family and needs me time. And then Kirk says that James said talking to Lars is stressful, that Lars always, it feels like Lars always needs to be in control, but this time he needs control, and he doesn't want to think about fame or the band, and basically, which thinking about it, if I was Lars, I might have had hurt feelings about this, because Kirk says that James basically associates Lars with the biggest with the business aspect of Metallica like with business with work so that's why he hasn't spoken to him specifically Lars feels disrespected (laughs) I'm like did you pay attention because he says that I feel disrespected 
So then we see that James wrote a letter to the Metallica fan magazine, which I wrote LaMeo. They had a magazine. I forgot. Yeah, they had a fan magazine. Lars is like... Was that handwritten note too? Yeah. Lars is, yeah, Lars is like, it was really honest. We're going to, you know, he said we're going to meet tomorrow, almost a year after he left. We see James back for the first time in a while, and he's hesitant about having the cameras around. Like, someone goes up to talk to him, he's like, hey. But then he's like, why are the cameras here? Like, he doesn't say it with his usual, like, whatever. He's literally just like, why are the cameras here? I don't even know if he still knew they were doing the movie. <laughs> so He was gone from a year. Yeah. He felt that there was an intrusion. He felt that he was in the spotlight. The directors, like the actual directors of this movie, come out from behind the camera to talk to him. He's like, hey, man, we want you to be comfortable, but hey, do you want to do the film? You told us you still wanted to do the film, but do you want to do the film? Yeah. Like, they, we can stop. And they don't show this, but in deleted scenes, they actually, to convince James to keep doing the movie, they actually, he actually, they actually showed him footage of, like, the prior stuff, even like the arguments and stuff. And James actually felt that it was uh, an honest portrayal of them. And that's why he liked it. So James says he thought it just came with being the reason why he said yes to the doc in the first place was because he just thought that kind of stuff uh, came with being a Metallica. Yeah. I like this. Well, line. I like. I know after the fucking like black album doc, yeah. it like it kind of like is a working formula. I wrote here. Right? I think that was like this, and this is the, that was the first time, and then this was the last time. I wrote here because there's this really good line that James has. He says to some people, Metallica is a friend, but to me, it's a beast. Phil says, "Well, you are the keeper of the beast." Lars, uh, and I and I don't know, I just think that whole, to some people, Metallica's a friend to me, it's a beast. I really like that line. Lars says uh, he feels that there's still an unbalance of priorities. And Kirk, in an interview, says that they actually, because it jumps kind of quick from that to them jamming again. But there's a thing from Kirk where he says, we actually just met up and talked for like, six or eight weeks before we actually jammed again. Yeah, he just said that. It's like, fuck, bro. That's two months. <laughs> Yeah, it took two months before they actually picked up some damn instruments. Even then, you have like, yeah, freaking, they're just like hanging out with the meeting. And then Bob's like, all right, James, go play guitar. And James is all worried. It's like, oh, I don't know what it'll be like if I'll pick it up again. Will I hate it? Will I like it? Will yeah. I like it too much? I don't know. It sounds like he hasn't played his guitar in the nine months. I'm sure he did. I mean, you just see him. He's just that kind of guy where he just feels like, like in the interviews and stuff where he has a guitar with him, he, if he's not the one talking, he'll just be fiddling around with it, you know? So now they're back at HQ. They're going to jam. And while Phil uh, Phil Toll looms uh, ominously in the background, then we see the next point of eventual conflict. James says he can only work from 12 to 4. Yep. Lars remain. Lars is just moody the entire time he's talking about the schedule. And now we see them working on ideas for Frantic. They yep. work on lyrics and, and and they actually give us um like background on where the whole uh uh birth is pain, life is pain, death is thing that you hear near the end of the song. Cause Kirk, I don't know if he is Buddhist, but he does practice Buddhist stuff. <laughs> And, um, and, you know, the worn out being afraid and those parade thing from James and stuff. And then, you know, my lifestyle determines my, I don't know who actually wrote that. I don't know if James wrote that. I feel like Kirk wrote that. Okay. So now James tries to do vocals to it and it's awful the first time. Yeah. But then Bob Rocket comes in and he's like, oh, you did this syncopated thing. Do that for the whole song. 
And then it's, yeah. And then, yeah, they're doing it. And it's like, it's not that much better, but it's an idea. Yeah, it's working on it. But then Lars is like, and then like says, oh, hey, it's like a quarter to four. And it's like, all right. James like, all right, time for me to pack up and leave. Yeah. Like they were getting vibes going too. And they were yeah. fe- really feeling It's like, yeah, it. we're getting somewhere. It was like, oh, it's time to clean up and go home. Oh, I have to go because I left my meds at home. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a reference to a friend of ours. Uh, and then, and then we see, and then after that, we see Lars jog as frantic. Whoa, 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 what are you talking about? We see James hop on a freaking chopper motorcycle and mob off to his daughter's ballet class, and Isn't then James in a solo. Dude, I'm not with the fucking what I watched. Well, there was a little bit. In well, what well, do you? Were you watching the YouTube video? or Were you watching the freaking like disc? No, I was watching the. I was watching the YouTube's. Dude, no, this is the part where like freaking mom's on a chopper. Well, because the next thing I, I actually know, was- never mind, because then I see. Yeah, no, no. Hold on. I jump forward. Sorry. I see Lars is jogging. Yeah. yeah. James like doesn't like j- doesn't like it. If Bob and Lars makes moves after James leaves. Yeah. Yeah. He says James mentioned how he feels bad. He feels bad about the four o'clock thing, but he also wants he also wants no work to be done while he's not around. Yeah, it's like, dude, what the fuck? He doesn't want to come into something already decided. And Kirk Hammett says, I mean, that's been me for the last 15 years. And everybody ignores him. Yeah. I laughed. Yeah. And then, yes, Lars is pissy. James rides off on a motorcycle to his kid's ballet practice. It's adorable. His daughter's the only one actually like trying to do the routine. James talks about how important it is that he be the best father and man he can be right now. She makes me feel really bad about the divorce he just went through. Ugh. Like, he's talking about how, like, the drinking and partying stuff is boring. He hated being stuck in it. But he went back to rehab, and then the divorce happened. I'm like, <laughs> poor hat. Oh. So he cut to Kirk, Lars, and Bob listening to Frantic. And they're like, wait. At some point, someone asks, wait, can we even, like, listen to this without James here? And Lars says, yeah, it's fine. Everyone that doesn't want to be a part of this can leave the room. And then immediately we cut to... At therapy. I thought, <laughs> I thought we were going to work from 12 to 4 from James. So Bob and James are talking about it and Lars is muttering and ranting in the background. This is another famous part of the movie where Lars is like, I just feel like saying fuck. Yeah, this whole situation, I'm trying to say fuck. Only one word comes to mind is just fuck. Now before I tell you all what happens next, I need to specify I love Lars and when I say that I mean it but man, I because I, I feel for Lars, I feel for James. But on this particular moment, I'm like, the way the movie's communicating to us, James is trying to be a better man and heal himself for his family and what does Lars say? I think you're really self-absorbed and you always talk about me and control. I think you control and judge people. You control the band when you're not even here and I don't know who you are, and I realize I barely knew you before. You know all these fucking rules. I don't want. I don't want. This is fucking rock and roll. I don't want fucking rules. He's just like sitting there. He's like, wasn't this the part where he's like, is it a problem if like you leave and it, me and Bob listen yeah, to yeah, the yeah. track at like four fifteen? Like if you leave at four and me and Bob listen to a listen to a track at four fifteen, is that infringing or whatever he said? But yeah. So it's just, Fuck. But that that's why I love I love that line. It's like, this is fucking rock and roll. I don't want rules. But then, yeah, and then, and I'm like, Lars, he's trying to better himself, bro. But then that's when he starts going on the fuck. Fuck. Yeah, he's trying to better himself, but he's like, I don't want you guys doing anything. It's like, dude, yeah, we're yeah, trying yeah. to get some work done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we could barely get work done with the schedule right now, 
why can't like could you imagine how much more how much more stressful it'd be if like me or dylan were like oh no james you can't work on stuff without either of us here like like if we're record like 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 if i'm like oh james i could come in and record on on this tuesday right and, and or no on, on monday or something because we both have it off for whatever reason and that's a dialysis day for dylan so dylan was like um actually can we do it on tuesday because i don't want you guys to record without me type of thing yeah <sighs> That'd be annoying. So yeah, he's like, fuck. And he gets right in James's face. Fuck. Yeah. Then we he's smash. like, yells fuck right in his face. And then we and then we smash cut to fans pouring out of buses for fan appreciation day. <laughs> yep. Fan appreciation day. Why don't they do this? I want to meet still. I want to meet Metallica. Not for not. What, are you going to play bass? Hey, this would be better than having to pay seven thousand dollars for this new tour. Yeah. Did you hear about that? Yeah. And it's only two members. And they don't tell you which two members. What the fuck? And it's the only package they offer to meet them. Yeah, you're going to get... You're going to get James and Robert. Oh, no. I I was expecting Robert and Kirk. But that'd be the lame duck? No, it'd be cool because then I would have, like... I would have Rob Trujillo sign my copy of uh, that suicidal record I like, uh, Art of Rebellion or whatever. And Kirk, I'd just be like, hey, man, horror movies and shit. Also, my buddy Dylan really likes you. Can you sign this wah pedal? No, it'd still be cool because it's members of Metallica. But it's not Lars. It's not fucking Lars. It's not Dreams. And I I hated that legitimately. I hated that so much. Seven thousand fucking dollars. You you don't meet all the band. Yeah, but that's the thing. You also get a private show from them, too. Whatever, it's not worth set. Metallica's not worth seven thousand dollars. Wait, did you get Metallica tickets? Well, yeah, <laughs> I got both days too. Oh damn! For the SoFi show, did you get a pit? Did you get uh, what? That shit was gone so quick, and it was a lot more expensive too. The show, the seat, the seats we got were like two hundred, not far away, but you know, about mid range, whatever. Pit tickets were going almost, 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 almost a grand a person. Oh my god! Yeah, it's like, dude, look, it's James's knees. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it's pretty cool. They're meeting and talking to people. They're holding fan base auditions. We see people playing along badly until this one long-haired chick gets up and just fucking rips it up. Well, she just is the best of the bunch. Well, yeah. Uh, everyone's. Uh, and I remember on the commentary, everyone was joking like, you know, come on, Rob, where were you, where were you, buddy, during this? And then, yeah. the ch- and then when the chick goes up, he goes, "That's me. I was in costume." <laughs> So, yeah, it's pretty cool. They're meeting and talking to people, and that's all happening. Then we cut back to them arguing. Yep. They're at therapy, and James, not in, he just says he's not enjoying playing with music with Lars. Yeah, Lars is like, hey, man, if we aren't happy playing music together, then let's just end it, man. And James is like, yeah, I agree. I agree. But then back at the fan jam, Lars also says he's not... Well, like I say, we go back, see footage of the fan jam. It's like they were intertwined because then we see Lars. He also says he's not having fun either. And Lars has total crying eyes and, and everything. And James is glad. I was like, James is like, you know, what? I'm glad you're feeling the same thing I do, that we haven't been having fun jamming with each other. Yeah. I think that's a breakthrough moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a legit breakthrough moment. Now, day 443 is like they're working on the unnamed feeling. They have the music there-ish, but now they need lyrics. Everyone's participating except for Lars. Yep. He's being pissy and not helping. And, Jay- and James is basically, he doesn't say this, but James is, he just has this look on his face. He's like, the 
fuck, Lars? Yeah, the fuck? Why aren't you doing it? Because I don't want to do it. I'm not inspired. But yeah, we see his kid, Caster's hanging out. And then, yeah, his wife comes, James's wife comes and picks up Caster. And I wrote here, I said, we see him, we see Lars tracking drum stuff. And I wrote here, oh my God, I never noticed that Lars has a nipple ring. <laughs> yeah, we see Lars is tracking drums very angrily. Yeah. And Lars is talking about like, y'all just hanging out with James in like 81. We just sitting here listening like, to new wave of British heavy rem- metal. I can remember being in my room and listening to British heavy metal. And then the second that someone else came around, he like changed. I remember that as soon as Mustaine came into the picture, it was like James didn't care about me. The only time James said how much he cared about me was when we were drinking 32, 42 beers. And he's like, I love you, man. But I never would have heard it if it never got to that 42 beer point. Like, I can understand the feeling, but, you know. It's definitely, yeah. And then, yeah, James is tracking guitars for a name feeling. And then James voiceover in a voiceover talks yeah. about losing his parents. Like, his whole thing about losing his parents, like, both his parents. Yeah, he says, I feel that, you know, between me and Lars, we were always competitive. And after, you know, my parents split, my mom passed away, all I had was music. I don't get close to people because I don't know how to do it. It's like, and then he oh, yeah, and admits that he has abandonment issues. Yeah. All the while messing around with the unnamed feeling riff, which I thought that that song being worked on while they talk about this, I thought that was fitting thematically. Then Kirk is tracking some stuff. Yeah. And this is another and then the part. Lo- Oh, this is a lull scene. So uh, you just hear Bob's like Bob and Lars just like, I hope I, I guess now's now now more than ever it's time to talk to kurt yeah lars lars said how bob was talking to me about how the guitar solo as we know it is outdated the idea of the guitar solo as we have known it might be outdated and he says so the idea is to supplement it with more riffs like riff of rama and Kirk says, that's bullshit. <laughs> There's a <laughs> level where Kurt just like loses his chill. Yeah, he says, he says, saying that the guitar solo is dated inherently dates the album to this point in time. It cements it to a trend going on in music. You know, he says, he says, um, I'm not interested in doing traditional guitar solos anymore. And Kirk says, we don't have to stay traditional, but we don't have to follow a trend either. But evidently, they just ignored him again, and then, yeah. yeah, that's why. That's why no, a lot of times, like uh, Kirk gets ignored. That's why. Uh, that's why San Anger has no guitar solos. It's because it's because in one of the only times I could think of that a Bob Rock suggestion wasn't good was him being like, "Yeah, no, it's just he doesn't say this." Obviously, I'm about to say what would yeah, trends. what would Saint Anger sound like with guitar solos? <sighs> If you're curious, the couple times they bust out St. Anger guitar solos recently, Kirk will do some bullshit solos every uh, in certain parts. They're not long because the songs weren't made for guitar solos, but they are there. Yep. Either way, Bob says, that, hey, maybe you can come up with something that can add a little color to the tracks with your guitar play. And then we see Kirk in the car. He says, like, you know, what? I'm not egotistical. OK, I'm comfortable with my spot in the band. That's basically all he has to say. I just wrote down he looks defeated. Yeah, poor Kirk. (laughs) Poor Kirk. 
So then we cut to my favorite part of the movie. Them reading off lines for the radio contest. Yes, for some, like, they're doing radio voiceovers for radio contests. There's some really hilarious ones here, but I can just I can just skip to my... I, I, I can just, like, skip to, uh, like, my two absolute favorites. Uh, one of them being from Lar- from Kirk, where he's like, sharpen that booger-picking finger and be the fifth... But then he just starts laughing. <laughs> and then this one right here, where it's Lars. He goes, hey, it's Lars from Metallica here. I'm about to stick 50 grand up your ass <laughs> he's here james in the background one dollar at a time yep and we just hear like bob say it's like you know what? it was pretty bad watching you guys uh do that he's like yeah you wouldn't have heard bono or the edge doing that yeah <clears throat> which is you two a bigger band than metallica might be so then we see them talk to Cliff Bernstein, or as Kurt called him in the DVD commentary, the voice on the phone. Mm-hmm. The radio station. So they basically tell the radio station, because um, I, I guess they sent them those clips and how they're making fun of it. So the radio station basically told them, fuck you. It's a good idea. You guys never do anything for us. So just for that, we're not going to play your shit when the new album comes out. And James says, they would really do that. And Cliff, who has experience in the music industry because he's a manager, he's like, yes, James. Yes. Yes, they would. And then James is like, God, it's like, wash your back so you won't stab mine. And then we get, and then that's how we got Sweet Amber. And then they work on Sweet Amber. Yep. Literally, that whole song is like, yeah, you could say it's probably about the music industry, but no, it's just them being like, fuck you to this radio chain. Making us like do this because they're threatening to not play our shit. So Lars really likes what they're putting together for Sweet Amber. He says, uh, uh, he tells Bob, he says, I like that so much that Kirk stopped reading his magazines and I finally stopped sulking. And we see Lars on a fucking wave runner. As Sweet Amber plays. Yep. And I think he crashes. Yeah, yeah. We see them just mobbing. Yeah, we see Lars and Bob just out in the San Francisco Bay mobbing on jet skis. And supposedly someone crashes into someone. And then MTV News. As they talk about, like, yeah, former bass player Jason Newstead joins a legendary metal band Voidvod. As, like, then they just end up just talking shit on Metallica. Yeah, and I wrote here. I'm like, why? And I wrote here. That was a little unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, Metallica hasn't been heard of or hasn't done anything since. Well, see, the thing is, at this point, all the cool people left MTV. So now it just got replaced at that point with douchebags. So now back at HQ, Lars is like, someone had told me that Jason would be interested in coming back. And whoever told that to Lars was a liar, I think. And then Bob's like, that's a bad idea. He says, he says, TBH, ever since Cliff got died, it's been you three. I don't think you will ever find a permanent bass player. Then we cut to like newspaper clipping montages as we hear old radio broadcasts breaking the news about Cliff's passing. Yep. And James talks about it. Phil says he thinks it should be a thing where the three of them, the whole Cliff thing, what they should take from it is that the three of them should treasure what they have because, you know, you never know when it can end. And James, in a later interview, says how he really feels like, you know, Phil's helped him out and stuff. Yeah, it feels like it's a godsend. It's like been yeah. helping me out through this, like, tr- like this tumultuous period. And a little sad trivia in the commentary, James, Lars, and Kirk have all casually mentioned how at some point they have and had had dreams about Cliff and even do as recently as whenever they did the commentary for that movie. So that's, you know, 
But that being said, though, he says all that, but James also says he doesn't want someone to hold their hand through the entire process. Then Lars is passive aggressive to Phil. He's like, they're in the lunchroom and he's like, so what part of our career are you going to micromanage today? Yeah, I know. Day four. Yeah, day 482. Yeah, just trying to munch on a sandwich and he's like, yeah, so you going to you want to jam the drums today? And Phil is like, and Phil is like, well, the whole thing, because, you know, you guys can't do anything or that's Yeah, I think he says that like as a joke or whatever. And then Lars is like, are you going to play the drums? You go play the drums. And then Lars just says, like, sitting there is like, they feel comfortable that the, about at the, their situation, about, like, scaling back their therapy sessions to every other week. So, yeah. And then a news article of Lars suing Napster. Here comes Napster. It only, it's only a short period in yeah. this, like. So a news lady gets on screen and goes, it basically says, so Lars Ulrich brought a list of Napster users to San Mateo. And yeah, the Napster thing. I will say, I don't have a bunch of a trivia on it. I will just say it's a deceptively multi-layered issue yep. that can't fully get into it now. But what I can tell you is I want to remind everyone, you know, if you're one of the folks that are like, Yo, fuck Metallica, it's all about the money. Napster was not Spotify. The music on Napster was genuinely being downloaded or uploaded illegally and downloaded. They were, and there was, and the, the thing Metallica was pissed about was that there were songs on there that were not officially released. Like I disappear for the whatever mission impossible. Yeah. Mission impossible. They were getting bootlegged. That was the problem. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It was that issue too. And then like my been an issue of like, all right, if what this is happening, how is the music business going to last and survive with this? And look where we are now. The yep. where 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 even where one of the reasons Motley Crue said they initially broke up was because because they're more businessmen than they are rock stars at this point, uh, which is fine. But they basically said one of the reasons why they did retire where they wanted to retire was because they felt there's no point in an album anymore. They feel like it should be all just singles, EPs at most, which to them killed the interest for them. So then we see some Metallica fans paying homage to all those dudes that broke and burned Beatles records after Lennon said they were bigger than Jesus because they're stomping and breaking the shit out of like all their Metallica CDs. Yep. There's this fucking this one sweaty Mark sweaty just Marky Gen Xer who says I don't want anything to do with them anymore. I'm going to be destroying their CDs. I'm going to be taking all, I took all my CDs and I'm going to be destroying them. It's like, I'm mad. And then future Lars in like a solo interview is asked, so how did you feel about the whole Napster thing? Well, would you say I was really happy about being the most hated man in rock and roll for a summer? Like, yeah, that was the idea. Things are going a little too well this summer. Maybe I could turn myself into the most biggest fucking asshole in rock and roll. Yeah. And then we get the famous money, good Napster, bad cartoon. Yeah. The good flash animation. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's like, like, would everyone just is like Lars Orich from Metallica? And yeah, you know, the beer. Yeah. It's not like you guys just like, you know, made us like freaking million gazillionaires. Is it just because you made us rich and famous? You could get free stuff. You know, all these songs that we spent like 24 to 48 hours writing and recording, which it does not take that short of time to write a fucking Metallica song. Clearly, it takes like years to do three or four. But yes, 
And Lars is like, this is where we get into the lyrical inspiration for Shoot Me Again. Yeah, we just see Lars. He's like, you know what? I can handle it, the heat because I'll be sitting here. like, I'm feeling invincible. I got like jeans by my side. We could take on the whole world. But then like five minutes later, I'm all just doubting and just going, what's going on? Yeah, he says, uh, sometimes I've got all the strength. I can just, I'm like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I got hit feeling. I got ham and I'm bulletproof. I'm but bulletproof. Five, but, five, but five minutes later, it means nothing and I'm really vulnerable. We never thought about about what would happen to Napster. We just thought it was something we had to do. And then, and then, yeah, shoot me again. Lyrics for it. Yep. Flash forward. And James tracking vocals. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, are they working on Christmas? I was very confused at this. Yeah. There's even a sign on the door that says Christmas is canceled. See Lars. We see, (laughs) (laughs) we see Lars and Bob and an engineer dudes, uh, similar to the, uh, black Island doc where they're piecing the album together. Yeah. But they're talking to the drums. Yeah. This is like sitting, looking at the pro tools, like open up the DAW and just like Lars, just like breaking down like parts of the drum, like drum parts. He feels like are like the strongest and stuff. And then some dudes just like telling like Lars, just like, yeah, dude, just think what that part comes on. There's gonna be like thousands of evil, like double horns in the air. Go like freaking going Metallica. And Lars is like, yeah, can we just please fast forward to that now? That guy gave me vibes of that one metal DJ you hate. Uh, which one? Uh, the I, hate, one, the, I hate all the metal one I DJs. Told you, the one I told you that was at the uh, Static X show. What's his name? Like Manny Rivera? Yeah, Jose, you mean Jose Mangan? Jose Mangan. Yeah, yeah, that fucking guy. Yeah, that guy fucking sucks. Uh, there's also a part where Crazy Rob calls Lars a metal Jackson Pollock. So then we see, then we actually see Cliff Bernstein on uh, talk to them, or as Lars calls him in the can, in the, on the in the commentary, uh, Metal Gandalf two. He's like, hey, I know things are different now, so why don't you guys just do weekend stadium tours? Yeah, you guys know what fam- they do now. Yeah, you guys have families, so maybe consider when you're going to do touring, maybe only doing Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and then having Monday through Thursday off. Lars is like, hey, man, I don't know how I feel about touring. I don't want to fall off the wagon again. That's James. James, that's what I said, sorry. And then, you said Lars. Uh, I, I meant to say I thought I said James. And then we see Black Alum Hetfield being like, with a beer, being like, hey, uh, fucking... Uh, you know, thanks for fucking coming out tonight, man. And fucking cheers to you, man. Fucking love you. Because, you know. <clears throat> and then we see James doing vocal warm-ups. Because so he, he blew out his voice on the Black Album and said he went to a vocal coach. Yeah, he's like, I blew my voice on the Black Album just doing a cover of so, doing the cover song, So What? So What? And then I'm just like, yeah, I still got to do, do all these other Metallica songs. So I went to a vocal coach. I was worried they were going to make me do all operatic singing, but... He just gave me a vocal warm-up tape, and I've been using the same tape all these years. Okay, here's a great part of the movie. Not because it's memorable, but because it plays into our conversations about St. Anger we were just having. So they talk about the song deciding process. The thing is, they all have to decide, all four on all all the songs, what they're going to have and keep. And remember how we said the loads needed trimming? And remember how you were like, man, a lot of St. Anger sounds the same? Kirk says out of 30 songs... At that point, only four of them got all four votes. Thirty. So could you imagine, James? Oh God! Double album, Saint Anger. That be brutal. <laughs> we show we see them showing the songs to Bernstein, specifically like Sweet Amber. He likes that. All in my hands. He likes that. Title track. He likes that. Then he hears three of the unreleased ones, including one of them being Temptation, and Bernstein looks so bored. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hetfield is pretty bummed about cutting Temptation actually because it was a it was a, he wrote that before rehab and he just felt like it really like um, captured who he was. Lars says, uh, Lars says that song just kind of feels like a jam. Like there's nothing in there that couldn't be turned into something better. Lars says. Well, when I hear Lars say we can whip anything in the shape, I agree. We did that with Load and Reload. And basically, yeah, now we see Lars and James are starting to get on better uh, professionally. Then we get to the part where, for some reason, Bob makes Lars get on the track and yell, Fuck! Is that actually on the like, album? No, it's not. <laughs> just So that means they did it. And no, they did it for a cut song, too. So yeah, let's just have Lars just yell, Fuck! Yeah. Have you seen the meme where it's that, but it's the uh, intro to Angel of Death? <laughs> no. Yeah, where it gets to the part where Tom Mariah screams, they just put the fuck there. And fuck! Uh, then we see some mover dudes taking Lars's paintings. Yeah, and we have Lars's assistant. This fucking guy. Yeah, his assistant. And yeah, he's like, I'm ready to move on. And I, I okay, I can't remember. Are these paintings he got or are these paintings he painted? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, now he's in New York with his wife. The paintings are, and the paintings are all selling for thousands of millions of dollars when we get to the auction. Nothing really happens. He just looks around and he accidentally drops a champagne glass. But then when we, yeah, just hanging out in this like little art exhibit. But, but then, then it's time for the auction. Yeah, and then, like I said, thousands, millions of dollars sometimes. Yeah, we see Lars is just getting fucking hammered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then just the post, like, the auction's over. Lars is like, yeah, so I'll, I'll like, drink a bunch to kind of numb I the got pain. I drunk to numb the pain. Numb the pain, but, but I'm happy. I'm happy that I was able to sell all these art pieces at such good prices. Like, he's got the swollen eyes and everything. It's hilarious. This is not young drunk Lars. This is not fuck that kid's fucking knapsack Lars. Are you sure that's not drunk Lars? Are you sure that's not fuck that kid's knapsack Lars? Well, this Lars seems like he's really mellow, unless he's really sad about losing the paintings. Yeah. But, yeah, this doesn't sound like he would take Jim Brewer's knapsack and throw it halfway across the street. Are you sure? This is Lars. We don't know if Lars on a good day. True. Either way, day oh, six. What's up? I was just gonna say, quick funny background thing I noted when they're doing the auction. There's an uh, a violin cover of Master of Puppets. Yep. At least they had that going for like that scene in the documentary. Yeah. So either way, day six hundred and twenty, Lars walks into HQ and they have therapy. Also, Bob doesn't like some of the signs that are there. Yeah, so Phil's talking to them about meditation and, like, applying meditative practices to their music. And Bob's just like, I mean, music is what you put into it. It's hard work. And Phil's like, I like to push the boundaries of what's acceptable. <laughs> and, yeah, he writes on all these papers and put them around the studio about the zone. Zone it. Are we too comfortable with pain? Zone it. The zone. I'm like, bro, what? And the Metallica dudes clearly hate it, too, because they took one of his uh, zone it things on marker. They erased the Z and wrote a B, so it says bone it. Yeah, bone it. So, yeah, Phil's talking. It was like, hey, man, it's been a few good weeks, but as we ascend higher, it'll get more difficult. And Bob is like, <laughs> Bob is at a point where he's just like, man, I don't care. So Lars is with James and Kirk. They're talking. And he mentions, he's like, they're talking about Phil. He's like, we pay this dude 40000 a month to be at our beck and call. So basically, can we like sack him after this record? I did the math, by the way. I Are you talking up. about the therapist or Bob? The therapist. Sorry. And like, 
I rounded it up to two years, but I did the math. Phil made almost a million dollars off this band. And he's like one of those therapists that they take like sports teams and celebrities to and shit. Phil Toll's a rich man. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's broke. So James says, <laughs> I don't know how he got to this conclusion, but James says, I'm afraid that he thinks he's in the band. Phil or Bob? Phil. I thought they were talking about Bob here. No, they're talking about Phil. He said, uh, you know, they, they pay him 40000 a week to be at their beck and call. I thought they were talking about Bob here. I thought they were talking. I always thought they were talking about Phil. I thought they were talking about Bob. It could well, apply to both of well, them. Well, listeners, you can go back and listen and figure out if they were talking about Phil, the therapist, or Bob, who was actually playing bass for the band. So later that day, and who was recording and most likely should be at their beck and will. Yeah, I feel like with the see the thing with the therapy though, it's like they have a set schedule with like the therapist. They usually work with like whenever he could get by. Like Bob seems like the person that they pay to have him at their beck and call. He's been at their beck and call for like fifteen years. So that's why I was thinking would be I was thinking they were talking about Bob Rock. And just like him, like thinking he might be in the band and he thinks he's in the band, but like, can he actually commit to playing bass? Well, that's just it. In other scenes, like Delia ones too, they're just like, they talk about that and Bob the whole time's like, no, I, I don't want to be your bass player. <laughs> and he just sounds really earnest, you know, like they're making fun of him about it. But anyway, so later that day, Metallica gets a call. Uh, well, no, it's now day 642. Oh, you're right. Okay, sorry. They get a call and Icon wants to run a show on Metallica. And Kirk is like, what about Jason? And they're just like, the dude on the phone is like, what about Jason? He stopped. This is so music industry. What this dude says, he says, he stopped being an icon when he left your band. Like, so, ouch. But yeah, they're just like, use this show to show off the new bassist. And it's like, well, I guess we should get serious on getting a bass player. Yeah, Lars, Lars or James is like, you know, people have been honest for not finding a bass player, but it's not that we haven't found one yet. It's that we haven't been looking. So we get now a, day 661 base auditions begin. They bring in a bunch of like decently big name dudes like there's Twiggy Ramirez who worked with Manson for years. That dude from Corrosion of Conformity. We see Danny, Pepper Keenan. Yeah. Who also plays in Down. We have, uh, yeah, they did bring in Pepper. They brought in Danny Loner, who did work with Trent Reznor and Nice Nails for years and produced the first Hollywood Undead record. And some dude named Rob Trujillo. Who uh, played bass for... Uh, he played bass for Ozzy. He played bass for Suicidal, Infectious Grooves. He played bass for Jerry Cantrell's solo record. He did a lot of shit before Metallica. Yep. I don't know how he got to start in the music industry, but Homeboy got around. So... They're I actually, think Homeboy can play the bass. He's he's great. So they're actually like, uh, so they they bring the guys in, they interview him for a bit, but they focus on Rob. I mean, yeah. obviously, because Rob's the uh, one. I wonder why. Hide. Yeah, I know. But like, uh, but as they're focusing on Rob, they actually show the Metallica guys. They're actually working on like studio stuff for a bit. Uh, but the but I want to point out when Rob is talking to the sound guy or a studio manager, or whatever. Um, He's showing him the bases they have, but he's but this guy's talking to Rob like he's a fucking arms dealer. He's <laughs> like, you want four or five string? No, oh, yeah, we got this. We got that one. Yeah, they have about five hundred guitars on hey, there. Hey, Jason hey. took all of his bases, hey, and Rob me, just yeah. like, wow, wow. Um, hey, let me try a five string. Oh, yeah, we see James is tracking vocals for Frantic, and then we see Lars is saying. 
maybe we should be actually, you know, hanging out with this person that's auditioning for bass because it doesn't seem too welcoming that all of us in here are working and he's just out there just fiddling around. Which I think is reasonable. Yeah. James seemed a little indifferent to it because especially he's like, well, I think, you know, he feels comfortable and stuff. Or he says it's Uh, fine or whatever. And Lars is like, well, it's not about what he says. It's about what I feel. (laughs) Okay, Lars. (laughs) But either way, (laughs) they start jamming with with Rob Trujillo. And it's like, hey, what do you want to jam? It's like, I don't know. How about battery? I'm okay. And they play battery. Yeah. And there's like, wow, you got a really good bass tone going out of that. And Kirk is like, you can play that fast with your fingers. He's like, yeah, man. Yeah, man. And we see the other guys do it, and some of them look like they're holding their own pretty well with, with battery. And, you know, they do, like, uh, for whom the bell tolls, we see montages and shit. Yeah. Um, but then after it's all said But, like, and all done, the other dudes, yeah, all the other dudes is, like, they're just kind of looking awkward and just there. But Rob's just like, I don't know. I'm he's, like, he, he actually... He gets the fuck down. Yeah. He kind of seems like he overplays at times, but friggin'. Yeah, but look who wrote, but look who wrote battery with Metallica at that point yeah. in time, you know? So, but yeah, and then after all said and done, and they they they're done playing with everybody, Lars is like, you know, with Rob playing, he played those songs. He didn't look like he was struggling at all. Everyone else, it looked like it was like ten percent over their capabilities. But then, especially with songs like "Nothing Else Matters" and "Sanitarium," they were fucking flawless. That's how he says it. They were flawless. And Kirk's like, yeah, when he's doing the thing on Whiplash, he's just. Doing that thing with his finger and James is, and all James has to add to this is like his finger is a pick. It's like, yes, James, that's the idea of playing bass with your fingers. Yeah, basically. Oh, dude, where the fuck am I? Because they're talking about that. But we had a thing a little bit earlier where Bob, like Bob Rock is saying they shouldn't settle. Yeah, yeah. Like he they says shouldn't that settle. They need to yeah. get like they need to choose the right guy. And, they can't. Yeah. They don't need another Jason situation. And but they all feel the vibe of Rob right away. Yeah, and you, yeah, Curry's like with like says Whiplash. Like it hasn't been played like that since Cliff. Since Cliff, yeah. And I'm just like, dude, Trahil's the fucking man, dude. I've seen some people yeah, online go practice. I've seen Rob. I've seen people online say then and now that they thought and think that oh he doesn't fit Metallica maybe because of his looks or roots, but also his style of playing and his work with infectious grooves. And I'm like, fuck you, people. This dude is probably. I'm not being serious when I. I say this i love cliff i love jason it, for me personally at least but i think objectively rob trujillo is probably he's got to be 10 or 20 top basis in the world i genuinely think he's that good i just know that with playing while listening to all the other bass players seem like they were allowed to set up their own tones and everything yeah rob <laughs> musically and the tone coming out of his bass sounded the best and had the best attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and I've listened to a good hey. amount of his stuff. He can play this the studio stuff. He can be the studio guy, like for Ozzy, Jerry Cantrell. He could do the weird Dude, shit. Dude, he was the live group. guy for Ozzy. Yeah, and he could do the he could do the weird wacky shit with infectious grooves and that suicidal. You mean the slap bass? Yeah, he could do the shit with that and suicidal at the time too. And 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 he could keep up with Metallica with his fucking hands. It's like Rob heals the fucking man. Dog. Yeah. It's called Rob I love Tra- that guy. It's called Rob Trujillo Practices. Yes, clearly he practices. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so this is great. They invite Rob in. They give him, like, a standing fucking ovation when he comes through the door. And they're just like, they're basically just like, man, you fucking rule. Can you please join our band? And Lars says, to show you how serious we are, we want to give you a, a front. Um, They want to pay him a million dollars. It's a million dollars. As a down 
payment. Here's a million dollar advance. <laughs> and Rob, he's got his head in his hands. He's just like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm not broke anymore. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm like, ball, I'm going to be balling. <laughs> We see Newstead one last time saying how, you know, yeah, there's things I miss and regret and wish things had worked out differently. But you know what? I did the right wait, thing. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Like, holy, like, I have us like some minute bullshit before that. Because, like, with Lars giving like, a million dollar advance, Rob, Robert's speechless. And then we see promo pics of them oh, in yeah, the Redwood. Right. And in the Redwoods, just like, all right, we're getting ready for. Ro- to introduce Robert Trujillo and then a magazine that reveals that Robert Trujillo is the new bass player. And then it's just like sitting there's like from switching from like seems like Aussie Metallica switch bass players as like you got a little thing where like Jason Newstead is playing for Aussie. I tracked down that issue of that magazine, by the way, it was archived online. They whoever wrote that was actually trying was was actually trying to like start some weird discourse of like, oh, will this cause a feud between Ozzy Osbourne and Metallica. I'm just like, what a fucking schmuck. Dude, what a fucking schmuck. And then we have Jason saying, you know what? Yeah. There might be times where I might regret, might feel like I could regret it. But honestly, at the end of the day, I feel like I, I made the right decision on leaving. Yeah. And you could just tell he's he's totally stoked. Because he'll tell you, it's like, dude, I'm fucking, I've made enough money to live. Yeah. I'm fine. I have an eye. Because he does get royalties from Black Album. Yeah. Right? It's like he's yeah. sitting there. It's like, I, have, I think he's like said he might have an island. What? Yeah, he might got himself a cheap little island in like a middle of a lake. What? I could. I didn't know. That. I could be wrong. I, I just c- knew he had some cars like James did. Yeah, I think he's like, dude, I'm fine. I'm gonna. I can musically express whatever. Yeah. Too bad he never makes anything. You know, it is kind of a sad ending though, especially because like there's a story that during the load eras, a lot of James's personal things are starting to come more to the forefront as he got older, and he felt like you know Lars and Kirk didn't do a lot of stuff he did, but he found out during the load years he actually had a lot in common with Jason, stuff they liked, cars, hunting, that kind of thing. But because things have been the way they've been and things been the way they were, he they found it difficult, almost impossible to bond, like in a too late kind of thing. So the both of them felt isolated. During the whole thing, and then the side projects thing, and apparently, and this just came out a few years ago. But Jason knew about the South Park thing. I mean, how wouldn't you, right? It's clearly Hatfield, but yeah, he was like, "Dude, but you," and because James had done vocal guest spots before, but no one else was allowed to, and just yeah. But see, the point again is, I seeing him clearly happy then and now with the way things are, and I think it's nice that they're also on good terms too. You know, because they've had time to reflect, so it's just nice. Um, so now, cause Lars even said in an interview, I just remembered, he said, James, uh, Kirk is the only member of Metallica to actually leave. And I think that that in a way that was powerful for us or we need, you mean that. Jason, Jason. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So now Metallica, yeah, so we'll actually leave this big monstrous unit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, fuck this. I made my money. I'm out of here. And it's like, damn, someone would actually leave. Yeah. This is a dream job, right? Well, Rob- Who wouldn't want to be the, like. You wouldn't want to well, be. Well, Ron McGundy left, but that's because Dave Mustaine was an asshole. Oh, st- there were fucking nobodies back then. I know that. I'm just saying. Hey, he's listed on the Wikipedia page. Well, yeah. So now the Metallica boys have the talk with Phil. And basically, the whole thing is James is like, I heard you were moving here, and that scared me. And Phil's like, Well, I don't think the work is over. They have a back and forth for a while, and it ends with being like, Hey, you guys don't need me anymore. It's cool. Peace, yeah. brother. 
Then we see you know, the Metallica's icon thing. We don't really focus on it. They just come on the red carpet and a bunch of pictures. Yeah, we hear someone's playing some Metallica song. But then, like, out with the icons, we're also, like, interlay with, like, footage of, like, Metallica's lawyer breaking down the pay percentage and, yeah. like, voting power and also liability on, like, documentary and stuff. That was funny. So, like, Robert Trujillo and the rest of the bandmates and just like, dude, can we get this over with? We're bored. It was just kind of, of rage. It was just kind of funny because, you know, uh, they're explaining him yeah they have 32 votes and you have five and Lars is like that's bullshit he should have at least 30 he should he should have at least 25 of uh, votes and then the, yeah he's just like yeah so you're only liable for stuff after this period uh like if the documentary lose money you're fine it's their problem and James gives the lawyer a lurk a look like thanks guy <laughs> thanks. and Lars is like oh, oh what did you do with your money and Rob can be like oh I bought my mama house I bought me a car but with me if they ask if this loses money they can ask they ask me that I can be like I bought a bunch of fucking DVDs <laughs> so yeah um, then the last thing we really see of note is before the ending is how um, uh, they're talking to Bernstein and now it's just like hey can we fi- can we title this fucking record now? Yeah. I guess everyone comes up with a title ass. I like coming up with titles for records first. You know, it, co- it creates a mood, sets a template and a vibe. But anyway, Lars actually isn't a fan of St. Anger. He wanted the record to be named Frantic. Yep. Um, but it all mostly came down to St. Anger. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Would it, do you think Frantic would have been a better suitable title? Eh, they're kind of the same. They just, well, because Cliff, you know, was like, oh, St. Anger, it's a statement. You know, that echo chamber shit that Lars' dad was saying? It's a statement. Yeah, it kind of shows you how much of a fucking tool Cliff is, but is Cliff still their manager? Yes. They don't say this. Like, to this day. Oh, yeah. They don't say this in the movie, but the whole Lars going up against Napster thing, that was Cliff Bernstein's idea. The the name downloading thing and taking that to San Mateo, that was Cliff Bernstein. (laughs) So... It's really all his fault. And of course, he's going to try to like want Napster to be evil because he, he's not in the band, but he works in the music industry. So that was his money they were fucking Yeah, that with. was his paycheck. So I, he I, was people also, forget that. People yeah, you gotta, forget well, that. you got to realize in the fear of like, well, what will happen when if music is just like going to be out for free? Like, how will your favorite artists actually make money? Yeah. How will they actually make money to play a show for you? But all everyone wanted, to, even the South Park guys who, uh, you know, everyone totally just wanted to throw Metallica under the bus and just be like, oh, they're just a bunch of rich. Okay. Yeah, there's a bunch if, of rich. If it's Madonna it lo- doing it, sure, I believe that. There's like, a bunch of rich. It, like, it looked like it came up with a bunch of rich and greedy dudes, but there's also a little bit of hindsight, too, with everyone bitching about, oh, artists don't get paid through Spotify. What is that? Well, just It's because of fucking Napster, I'm dude. just saying with like Napster, no one would have been paid. Yeah. I'm just saying, no one would have been paid. How could artists, new artists, actually make a living it's on music? The sweetest, if you want- it's the sweetest piece of irony because now, yeah. when you talk about Napster, obviously everyone, everyone's it took, like, obviously, Fuck you, Lars was right. Obviously, it took almost 20 years. Like, it took almost 15 to 20 years to actually came to realization. It's like, huh, maybe someone has some foresight on this. Yeah, like I love streaming. Oh yeah, we Believe all do me. it. I don't want it's like going back. That's to how the, you listen to our podcast. Yeah, that's like going back to the ancient days of trying to fucking pirate music to make it easy and accessible. Listen on your fucking MP3 players. And bootlegs existed since forever, but they never. Yeah, re- but you still need some bulky physical piece of media. Just yeah, trying to get they, like a light, easy MP3 player, just to like have in your pocket. Bootlegs like records and demos never uh, came at the expense of the artist's income. Um, 
it, it, but uh, but with well, but Napster was literally and what they don't talk about is who leaked it. That had to be someone in Metallica's internal party. So someone Metallica trusted sold them out. Well, 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 well here's the thing: like, wasn't there already like wasn't I disappear already out? No, they hadn't released it yet. Like, they, not even the music video for like. Not even I the don't pro- think so. No. I swear it was a promo video. Well, it might have been, but you know, what you're, right. You know what you're right, but it here's was not released on tape yet. Here's the thing. It's a promo video that most likely was streaming on in, like, like friggin' websites that you yourself can burn down that audio and then thus make a file and share that out for people to listen as far as I and under- then download onto your MP3 players as far, at the time. As far as I understand, someone in the Metallica camp uh, uh, or one of the recording people, whatever, took the actual like file for that song and leaked it on Napster, and that's how it got on there for whatever reason. As far as I know, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-layered thing. But yeah, so they settle on the name, and then we see footage of them shooting the Saint Anger video in San Quentin. Yep, which is like I don't know why you guys have have to go to a high like level for like high security level like prison to do this. John, because Johnny Cash did it. All right, cool. Is that really the reasoning? No, they didn't. Well, he did do it though, so you know. Well, I think he played a concert, not doing music video. That's true. Well, and then James gets up there and speaks some words to people. like, well, you know, the anger I felt in my life. Uh, you know, if it uh, if it wasn't for music, I might be in here with you. I'm not trying to sell nothing, but you know. And then he gets an they get applause, and then they play "Saint Anger," and I'm assume a few other songs, and then they're just like, "Hey, I want you guys to know you are a part of the Metallica family." And it's like, cool, dude. Thanks, James. So we still got those life sentences, but we're part of the Metallica family. Whatever. So now day 715, they review what the pro they review that the project is now coming to an end. It's actually kind of somber because and James this whole and, journey, James and Bob are actually kind of sad. They actually have something close to a tear, a sentimental goodbye. James is, you know, it feels like he's sad or depressed, whatever he says. Um, and it is a shame because they never worked with Bob Rock again. But James said, tells Phil that uh, he thanks Phil for all the hard work. You could tell James is trying not to cry. And there's moments of silence. But then we cut to a Metallica show where they're getting ready to take the stage as Ecstasy of Gold plays, welcoming them to the stage. Although in this case, it's definitely more of a welcoming them home kind of feel. And yeah, that's our movie, everybody. They get on stage and play frantic. And there's nothing like Metallica taking the stage, let me tell you. But yeah, that's some kind of monster. That's Saint Anger. That is the the complete Saint Anger experience. The only thing we could have done to give you all more of a complete Saint Anger experience is if we went deeper on the Napster thing and if I tracked down some interviews that they did here and there, like the one where Lars says, "Well, you know, well, it homie, feels like it's Jason over- was sacrificed." Well, here's the thing: we are now reaching two hours and uh, thirty-two minutes, so time to go. Yeah, I think it is a good time to go. Any F- closing thoughts? Well, I can tell you one: the documentary is a little long, so yeah. it is daunting. And like two hour, like two hours and twenty minutes is a little rough to definitely kind of like. I remember watching it the first time as a kid. I got bored and fell asleep because I kind of thought it was boring. Of course, you did. Yeah, there's like memeable stuff, but there's just not like I don't know. Maybe the format's just like kind of just not too like appealing. I think with Metallica being like, here's the thing: the format of like a year and a half is way better. I could probably. Agree I think that. for me, I feel like I, if you ask me between the two, it's like I'd rather watch a year and a half. That's a lot more interesting and a lot more funny because I'm like, you got Lars in random Porsches mobbing around. 
Lars and Porsche with his long hair. Yeah, and this one you just got like, whoa, James is a fucking shitbag. <laughs> it's just like, well, he misses. I don't think Catfield's a shitbag. He think. has some shitbag moments in this one. The don't worry, Lars has shitbag one. moments too. It's just Kirk. Yeah. And then Kirk is just being just like. Kirk is just a sweetheart. Yep. And he's just like, he's whatever. too nice to be in Metallica. It's like, I'm going to surf. I'm going to think of doing coke. I have a ranch. I ride horses. Why the fuck are we not doing guitar solos? That there is like the one moment. It's yeah. like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, you know, and then. Robert Trujillo is pretty fucking sick. Yeah, he's great. I told you. He's one of my favorite bass players. And then, yeah, no, not much else to it. Now, we need to figure out what we're going to be uh, reviewing and talking about next episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. What uh, year is fucking Death Magnetic? 2008. We f- were freshmen, dog. What the fuck to talk about in, from 2008? Jersey Shore. No, I'm kidding. They, Are you they sure? Happen. I'll fucking watch it. What if we did do the Jersey Shore? The first for episode show? of Jersey Shore for this. We need a we need a first actually reference if that's the correct date. Yeah, yeah. Here, uh, kill some time for tw- unless you want to just end the episode. Oh, I'm ending the episode. It's okay. too long. Adios, everybody. Adios. So, all right, listeners. This is the Triple D Radio Show with your host James and Edward. I hope y'all have a good one. Adios uh, again. Again. <laughs>